Hello, 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 listeners, and welcome to episode two of Talking Dolls. The podcast where we talk about dolls and doll history. Today, we're hoping to talk a little bit more about Maxie, since a lot of people are not that familiar with her history, and we talked about her a lot with Stephanie without actually talking about her. Yeah, we spoke about Maxie quite a lot, and it must have been quite bewildering. Well, if you're not very familiar with Maxie. Yeah, you know. So, this is our Maxie primer uh, to tell you everything you need to know about America's favourite teen. Yeah, and I figure we'll probably end up talking about some other teenager high school-themed dolls. Hmm, cryptic. Well, the way we've chosen to structure today's episode to help with our format, which is kind of all over the place... Is we will be watching an episode of Maxie's World, the Maxie cartoon by Deke. Maybe more than one episode. We'll see how it goes. We had planned to watch a certain selection of episodes we'd chosen beforehand, but unfortunately they aren't available online, even though they used to be, which is curious to me because I don't think anybody cares enough about this show to put in a copyright claim and have it taken down. And other more advanced pirating sites also don't have it and i guess because nobody cares enough to upload it yes i probably will have to buy it on dvd eventually but it won't arrive in time for us to record this when we get a patreon then we can buy dvds of shows like this and do mini episodes where we review them i have to talk about this beverly hills teens tenko before we dive into the Maxi cartoon, I do just want to kind of set the stage for it. With the Gem cartoon, that was part of a package Hasbro had with Sunbow, where they also produced some other cartoons for them for the Saturday morning block to promote their other toy properties, like G.I. Joe and Transformers. The main thing I see people talk about in relation to the Gem cartoon is a lot of people seem to be under the impression the Gem cartoon was cancelled because the dolls weren't selling well, when actually Hasbro was cancelling all of the Sunbro productions, irrespective of whether the dolls slash toys were selling well. So the Gem cartoon was coming to an end anyway, and that's why a lot of the 1988 toys were featured in the show, like previously to them coming out. And previous to them being cancelled themselves. Well, like... Yeah, because Hasbro knew they were bit. Hasbro knew the contract was ending, and they wanted to promote what would be coming out as soon as they could, while they still had the TV show in place to promote it. And you know, you need sixty-five episodes to have a show syndicated, and Gem has sixty-five episodes. It's a standard number, and the show wasn't cut short. And also the fact that Gem was one of the highest-rated shows on TV at the time for kids. Well, yeah, and I think it's interesting because a lot of the time I see people talk about Sailor Moon and stuff and they say, well, this was the only TV show I'd ever seen with multiple girl characters. And I think Gem, in a lot of ways, is kind of a precursor to Sailor Moon because it really was the first TV show just about girls. And also, like, it does have that good old-fashioned toy cartoon tokenism, but it did have a diverse cast, and a more diverse cast than a lot of other shows that were on at the time. It had the tokenism, but, you know, I think in a lot of ways, especially in kids' media, you need the tokenism to have certain characters, because you kind of need to make sure your bases are covered. Also, it's... 
A lot of people who watched it as a kid remark on just how mature the storylines were and how mature the romance elements were. And I think that that romance is also something that plays into how diverse the show was for the time because it features interracial relationships. Yeah. And I mean, by 1985, interracial relationships were still an issue in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Like, we do get a Jem and Rio themselves are somewhat interracial like it's it's not the most driven home thing but rio is a latino coded character at the very least especially at the start before raya comes in he essentially fills the role of the token hispanic yeah um it i don't think it's as remarked upon as it is with raya where you know they go to mexico and they're like you're going to your cultural homeland raya <laughs> And Rhea gets a romance with a Mexican archaeologist and they have a fantasy sequence of running around in Aztec outfits. Yeah, uh, it's very driven home that Rhea is Latina, but but Rio is too. But then the other one that people forget a lot is the fact that technically Aja and Craig are also an interracial couple on the show. Yeah, Aja and Craig are interracial and people never bring that up. Mm-hmm. Well, we said we were going to talk about Maxie, who in many ways is Jem's true unloved little sister. Sorry about that, Kimber. And we've ended up talking about Jem again. So I'm Put really sorry, Maxie. Uh, yeah. Gem jar. Put a dollar in the gem jar. Now we've got our bases covered with Jem, which, to recap, multiracial cast, mature storytelling... A heavy focus on a romantic subplot that a lot of people have said was their kind of first exposure to that idea, and a lot of girls found it really tantalising, the uh, kind of romantic awakening. But also the action elements, the consistent cliffhangers, the cars going off of cliffs regularly. In the first season, I think, I think after the first season, the show definitely stops feeling the need to include explosions and drama to hook boys and is just kind of happy to do its girl thing. It still does feature some pretty dramatic scenes, though there is less attempted murder in the later seasons. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think this is where the Maxi cartoon kind of sharply differs from Jem. In that Maxi has a slightly less diverse cast, and when I say slightly, uh, quite dramatically less diverse cast, you know, going back to the Hannibal Barbera cartoons of the early 70s, where they had entirely white casts with a single black character versus the more, uh, I mean, as we've said before, kind of token casts of the 80s, Maxi's World again is very. Everybody's white except the token black girl. Simone. <laughs> Simone. Or, as you found out. Yes, uh, also known as Kristen for exactly one doll in the line. I found that very interesting. It's my personal opinion that her name was changed from Kristen because Kristen was too close to Christy. And I think that's a pretty valid thought although Kristen is with a k versus christy with a c but yes they do sound alike and if she was going to be a cartoon character with her name spoken aloud a lot then that similarity probably could have caused some problems 
Mm. Speaking of problems, before we get into actually discussing the, our episode choice and our first thoughts of the Maxi cartoon, we have a certain theory regarding problems Maxi may have caused. Yes. So some of you might be familiar with the Barbie and the Rockers uh, VHS movie. It was a straight-to-video movie that feels like two separate halves shoved together into a full-length feature. Well, there is a reason for that. That Those two halves were originally two episodes of a planned Barbie TV show that would have been animated by Deke. But uh, all we know is that there was a falling out between Mattel and Deke that made the show never really happen, and what got completed was released as a movie direct-to-video. And our theory is that Mattel got wind of Deke producing the Maxi TV series, because again, Hasbro had stopped its contract with Sunbow, and instead Maxi was animated by Deke, instead of being outsourced to Japan, which what Sunbow did. So Maxi is of a slightly lower quality, to put it charitably. And, um... Well, there's a song just about every episode. Not a good song. <laughs> no, not near as good as Jem. No, Jem's songs are fantastic. Um, yeah. So yeah, we think... We think Maxi pissed Mattel off. <laughs> that, yes, that... We can't confirm that unless somebody from... This is unverifiable. Please take no legal action against us. Yes, unless somebody from Mattel or Deke in the 1980s wants to come forward and verify this, uh, this is just our tinfoil hat theory as to why the Barbie TV show did not happen. Well, while we're on the topic of Deke, um, and before we dive into Maxie, there may be another Deke property you are familiar with. We may have already spoken about it in this very episode. Oh? Sailor Moon. Oh, yes. Yep, that is right. The original English dub for Sailor Moon was dubbed by Deke, and so there's actually a lot of voice actors in common between the original Sailor Moon dub and Maxie. Yes, so the main one that I think is interesting is the fact that Ashley shares the voice actress Susan Roman with Lita, or Sailor Jupiter. And, incidentally, Molly, as she was in the American dub, her mum was voiced by Maxie. Well, Maxie's voice actress actually voiced a lot of different incidental characters in Sailor Moon. Yes, she voiced many of the monsters, incidental villains, and also Diana. She voiced Diana. Mm-hmm. She was the kitten. The lavender kitten. Proof that Luna is purple. Didn't you didn't you say Tara Strong was one of the voice actors or something? Yes, Tara Strong is actually the voice actress for the character Carly. That is so weird to me. I feel like that is so before her time. Well, you also gotta keep in mind that like Clash's voice actress on Gem, another dollar in the gem jar was the voice actress of Blossom on Powerpuff Girls. So a lot of these people were in the industry for many decades. Oh, this is interesting. Um, so 
the cartoon original baddie girl in Maxi, Jerry, her voice actress voiced Baby Mamoru in the flashback sequences. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love that when you look at the credits for Maxi's World, there are three actors who are just credited as voicing additional characters under the main cast, which leads me to believe they only had three voice actors for everybody that wasn't a main character. Which I really wouldn't be surprised by, considering the budget for the Maxi cartoon was apparently like a paperclip and some pocket lint. So according to Tara Strong's IMDb, Maxi's world is actually one of the first things she's ever appeared in. Well hey, everybody's got to get started somewhere. Yeah, she appeared in four different things in 1987, and Maxi's world was one of them. Of course, she is credited under a different surname in the credits, so... Yeah, that was before she started going by Strong, because she's actually the voice actress for, again, Hanna-Barbera, uh, the voice actress for Lena in Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island, but it's before she started using that name. Well, and she also was on the uh, Hello Kitty's Furry Tale Theater dub and the Sylvian families back in 1987, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> she was on the Sylvian families. Oh my god. Well, John would like that. He does like the tiny animals in their little overalls and dresses. Yes. Well, speaking of overalls and dresses, that's a terrible segue. I don't know why I said that. I'm I'm just trying to be a professional podcast host here. And this is this is not a conducive working environment for that. Um Speaking of clothing, clothing also appears in Maxi. <laughs> Yes, it does, because they're fashion dolls. So, something really bizarre about the Maxi cartoon we discovered when we were looking for episodes to watch is, it is a show of very special episodes. Yes, almost every episode is paired with, well, the episodes seem to have aired in two short episodes paired together to make a one full length TV block. And it seems like every other episode is handling a very special topic. Yeah, the show is one of those things where it's a 20-minute episode, but it's actually like two 10-minute episodes bundled together. Which doesn't leave you a lot of time to really cover these heavy subject materials. Well, something that I think is interesting is that, like I said before, Gem was 65 episodes for um, a standard syndication length. So that means you can air an episode every weekday for three months before you have to loop round. So you get a quarter of a year. Maxi has almost half that. She's got 32 episodes, which gives you like a month and a half before you have to start looping round. And a month and a half is still a relatively long time uh, for children. But so it's shorter. And incidentally, not only is it shorter... Maxie's World started airing on September the 14th, 1987, and stopped airing on October the 27th, 1987, which means it started airing a year after Jem, and finished airing a year before Jem finished. So that's how short Maxie's World is. Yeah, I think that a lot of people uh, tend to think of Maxie as being the nail in the coffin for Jem, but really... Uh, the death of Jem and the introduction of Maxi were very unrelated. It was coincidental at best. Maxi also remained in syndication 
till 1990. So it had a bit of a syndicated run after it went off air. Um, not really shocked it went off the air. Again, I do not mean to be a negative person. As I've said, I like Hanna-Barbera. I can appreciate things with limited animation. But I think what is so off-putting about Maxi's animation is it's not that they don't move. It's that they almost moved too much, if that makes sense, you know? With Scooby-Doo and He-Man and, you know, all the filmation stuff, you've got models that the characters have and they stay on model and maybe they're a bit stiff and they kind of move around and do stuff. Maxi's world, like, I don't know if they even had model sheets. The characters are drawn completely different scene to scene and they're just constantly moving, like, way too much for how actual people would move and it's weird and off-putting. <laughs> yeah. My thought about Maxie's world was it was odd how much they focused on characters that were not from the toy line. That yeah, that which it's doesn't like some... seem conducive to marketing a toy line. No, it's like some card captors shit. Because they introduced these two completely hateful male characters and an antagonistic female character. By the way, the hateful male characters are Maxie's friends. <laughs> like, they are paired up with Maxie's boyfriend as his friends, and they are just loathsome. Well, the one seems to be mostly well-meaning, but just a painful, dumb jock stereotype, to the point where, That's... you know, it, it, it's painful to listen to his dialogue. Because Is that Mushroom or Ferdy? I believe that was Mushroom. Their names are Mushroom and Ferdy. Okay, yeah, so Ferdy, Ferdy is the insult. Yeah, Ferdy looks like you would touch him and he would just feel greasy. And smell bad. <laughs> yeah, he looks like someone who doesn't shower and then thinks that girls won't date him because he doesn't play football. Like, that's the problem there. Well, considering the fact they draw him with a horrifically large jaw... He can't claim his jaw is too small. No, no, it's certainly not that. It's weird, the episode we watched in preparation to talk about this, it was very strange because most of the story focused on these two characters, and it was very near the end before Maxie even really had a real speaking role. It was bizarre. It was truly bizarre. And... From what we could tell, this was one of the only episodes that the two episodes in the 20-minute block, neither of them were explicitly a very special episode. The first one was kind of, it was about sexism. It was about Maxie and her friends and her boyfriend and his friends go camping together, and then the boys are sexist to the girls and think the girls won't be able to do anything because the girls have bought makeup and stereos and stuff with them. And then the boys almost die repeatedly and the girls save them each time with some girl-related item, you know? Yes, like using their compacts and hair straighteners or whatever to do camping things. But it wasn't cool and fun like Totally Spies. It was just kind of weird. Yeah, there was also that episode we were looking at where um, all of the characters come to Mushroom and Ferdy in a weird shared fever dream, dressed as historical characters. Oh, yeah, and the, the Bill and Ted thing. 
it seemed like it was supposed to be teaching Mushroom and Ferdy a lesson, but then, like, Maxie's boyfriend shows up as Christopher Columbus, so you know that just all goes out the window. Mm, it was 1987. It was. But, yeah... Like I said, a lot of the series has been pulled off YouTube recently, um, which I would assume is probably just somebody's channel going down or something unclear. There was an episode of it which actually crossed over with uh, another TV show called Beverly Hills Teens, which is another one of my tin hat theories. Basically, Beverly Hills Teens was another TV series produced by Deke. It started airing in September 1987. It feels like it's marketing something, but there was nothing it was marketing. Yeah, so th- this is this is the weird thing. So it starts airing in September 1987, the same month as Maxie's World. And Maxie's World manages to air all its episodes until October. Bearing in mind it only gets 32 episodes. Beverly Hills Teens is 65 episodes long. And it airs all of its episodes between the 21st of September and the 18th of December, 1987. Yeah, that's that's a heck of a run. I think it should also be noted that the reason we're bringing this show up is because it actually has a crossover episode with Maxie's World. Yeah, that's where I was, I was going to go with it. And something interesting about the crossover episode, which I have actually watched before, but has since been pulled off YouTube. So unfortunately, we can't watch it and then do like a mini review on it for the episode. They actually change the Beverly Hills teens hair colors to differentiate them from the maxi characters, because the main character of Beverly Hills teens is a blonde girl with blue eyes. And the antagonist is a girl with black hair and green eyes very similar to the Maxi characters. And so when they come to Maxi's world for the episode, uh, the main character from Beverly Hills Teens gets given like a kind of a light brown hair. And then the antagonist gets given a platinum blonde hair to differentiate them from their Maxi's counterparts. And there is that one further connection that we'd like to get to as well. So basically my theory with Beverly Hills Teens is that it was supposed to be a toy line, maybe produced by... Hasbro or or actually I'm just thinking of this now maybe it was going to be a Mattel produced toy line and the reason there was never a toy line for it is because Mattel and Deke fell out um I feel like with Mattel that if they had a toy line in progress I don't think they would release a show for it also allow it to cross over with a Hasbro property is kind of weird yeah, actually, yeah, completely. So maybe the the only thing is, I just feel like like when we spoke to Stephanie, if they had had any idea about a toy line going on, they might have known. I would I would be very interested to see if anybody has any kind of memory of this. We also didn't ask her about Beverly Hills teens either. No, we didn't. We didn't. I'm I'm gonna ask her about that. Definitely, I'll um I'll send her an email and ask because. I am convinced there was supposed to be a toy line for Beverly Hills Teens because it is such a toyetic show. The characters are obviously all fashion dolls. They all have fashion doll gimmicks. They all have giant hair. They do all have giant hair. Like, one of them is a rock star character who I always joke is like a refugee from Jem. Like, her and her boyfriend are like the lost stinger and a male misfit have come come into a different cartoon to like hide incognito and There's not do a, a very good job of it. 
the talking AI guitar. <gasps> yeah, who can the guitar can like try like there's an episode where they get sh- somehow like stranded on like a boat or like shipwrecked or something, and the guitar like inflates into a life raft with like a guitar like attached to the front of it. It's very strange. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're the lost mongrels. They oh my god, oh my god, they are. <laughs> That's what happened. The mo- the movie was cancelled and they escaped into a Deke cartoon. And then they became dating instead of twins. Oh. Um cousins. <laughs> cousins. <laughs> so yeah. Um not to talk too much about the Beverly Hills teens, because I mean it is just my conspiracy theory, but again, you know, um you've got a blonde Aryan girl as the main character who's got a white cat as a mascot and you've got an antagonist girl who is like teenage Lady Raven Waves so she does a lot like Duchess Raven Waves oh, Duchess Raven Waves no I'm such a fake fan for shame okay um so I think now we've discussed our opinions on Maxie's world let us choose the episodes we shall be watching from our very limited selection because they've almost all been deleted from the internet and there is no trace of them and uh, we'll have to, we might actually have to buy a piece of media the horror well i think it's funny that the dvds are still being sold in like walmart and stuff in like those bargain bins where they have like five dollar or like one dollar dvds because the idea of like a toy line from 30 years ago's logo just showing up on stuff like currently in stock is quite baffling to me <laughs> so the episode we did really want to watch was the episode where ashley gets addicted to smoking that sounds bananas to cover in like a 10 minute episode to me yeah well i just think it's so insane that the dull characters were the ones having these problems like in gem it wasn't like kimber got addicted to pills it was a one-off character got addicted to pills and then they were never in the tv show again in maxi's world it's like maxi's best friend gets anorexia maxi's best friend gets addicted to cigarettes maxi's best friend's parents get divorced maxi's boyfriend gets an anxiety disorder maxi's boyfriend collapses from exhaustion because they find out he's been (laughs) self-harming yeah it is all of the main cast that these things happen to except maxi Yes, except Maxie, because she is perfect and blonde and cute and sweet, and she has her own TV show, but is still a relatable high schooler. I find the TV show element to be probably the most jarring, because Maxie, as a dull line, is very focused on, like, normal... She's a normal girl. She's girl next door. She's all-American. She's not a big celebrity. She's not, you know... And then the... TV show is like Maxie has her own TV show. It is strange. Um, I think some of the conceit of it is to explain why this little group of friends have like the budget to go off on adventures in a way. Well, they don't even go on adventures. Like almost every episode is them like bumming around their school and then something awful happens to them. Like the episode where the friend gets like mugged and her bike is stolen. They're hanging out on the beach. Like everybody in the 80s. But, like, the fact that um, Mushroom and Ferdy are as their, uh, their cameraman and their special effects guy. And I think in a way that the TV show is to explain why they hang out with these guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I could understand them hanging out with Mushroom. Because, I mean, 
he is kind of the stereotype of like gentle giant like the way they the way he is voiced and the way that like the other characters treat him is like he is a seven-year-old in the body of like an eight-foot bodybuilder yeah it's uncomfortable but at least he's a nice person yeah like i i literally feel like there could be a scene where he like lays his head on Maxie's lap, like whimpering, and she like strokes his hair and like shushes him to like calm him down. And I really would not be surprised if that were in an episode at some point. <laughs> yeah, you know. And then I feel like Ferdy would be like off to the side, being like, "Maxie never brushes my hair." <sighs> or he'd be like, "That's not manly to be comforted by a girl." Yeah. Um, in one of the episodes we watched beforehand, which will not be one of the episodes we directly review in this episode, Ferdy just, like, bullied Mushroom for the whole episode. Like, Mushroom was being legitimately, like, tormented by monsters, because the other half to the camping episode was the Maxi Horror Picture Show, which is the one where Maxi didn't get a line till the very end of the episode, and the whole episode was just Ferdy bullying Mushroom for being afraid of a haunted house and mushroom like crying one of those haunted house things where mushroom kept seeing the ghosts and the monsters but every time ferdy looked they disappeared and then ferdy would mock him for being scared but he was not the one seeing zombies and ghosts and stuff i know i felt so so bad like (laughs) the very limited animation managed to convey a lot of fear in his face Poor boy. Poor, poor boy. So, the episodes we're going to watch, what what shall we watch? Because obviously we can't watch Ashes to Ashley, because that is non-existent on the internet. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a very low-quality version of the Eating Disorder episode. I think... We have to watch the Eating Disorder episode because it's a doll line and eating disorders are such a contentious matter when it comes to fashion dolls. And also covering that sort of topic in a 10-minute episode, it's highly, highly suspect to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I I feel like it's kicking the hornet's nest, surely. Yeah, of course. Well, The only very special episode I can remember watching as a kid that covered eating disorders was the uh the lizzie mcguire one that is one of the only episodes of that show i ever saw as a kid so it's very burned into my head but well it's it'll be interesting to... for a kid's show well it's a weird topic for a toy marketing tv show because you're like nine you've got your maxi doll and your ashley doll on the sofa with you you're excited to watch this you know you're watching gem you're like oh i love gem she goes skiing with her friends and then you're gonna watch maxi's world and you've got your dolls in the back of the box it's like oh maxi loves surfing and you're like oh maxi's gonna be on the beach and then you watch it and it's like ashley gets body dysmorphia (laughs) yeah like what are you gonna do you're gonna like act it out with your dolls like like oh that's play Rob having an anxiety attack and Maxie taking him to the doctor. Yeah. Also, I just need to say that the reason he gets anxiety is because he eats a lucky pizza before he plays football and the chef that makes the pizza moves out of town and he can't have his lucky pizza anymore and so he has like a mental breakdown. Yeah, because that's what mental health is. Hey, it was a 10 minute episode. (sighs) You know... Jim didn't do many special episodes, and we make fun of the drug episode, but 
I think it still did a better job of covering this that issue than I think these episodes would just from what I can see of them and what I've seen of the show. Well, I feel like the gem episode is actually quite good. I mean, obviously the drugs are nondescript. <laughs> like when Full House would do like a drug episode and they'd have like yellow jackets or something. Goofballs. But um obviously you know, they're not gonna have like oh no, Beanie's like snorting cocaine. They have to like have a fantasy drug, so it's not too real. But the way they present it I think is good. You know, they present Laura becoming isolated, they present her being socially well, withdrawn, they present her they... stealing for money. Yeah, they do definitely cover the reason why a kid might fall into drug abuse, you know, being going through an emotionally traumatic time, feeling socially isolated, being preyed upon by a slightly older peer. Who was also a good-looking boy. A handsome boy. (laughs) A handsome boy. (laughs) Also, I saw someone making fun of the fact that... uh, the drugs were going to cost her $30 because it's like, oh yeah, 30 bucks. It's not that much. But I'm like, um, in the eighties, that was more like, I don't know, like 70 bucks. Let's take a spin to the conversion calculator, which if you keep listening to us after this garbled episode, you will know that I like to adjust dull prices for inflation because I hate when I see people go, Barbie was only a couple of dollars when she came out and she was really high quality. Why are dolls so expensive now? And I'm like, mm, well, Barbie $3 was a few dollars. Was a lot more back then. Yeah, three dollars in nineteen fifty-nine is twenty-five dollars now, as of twenty twenty. So keep that in mind, people, please. <laughs> At least I know the Google algorithm works because it keeps directing me to try and have like pounds historically calculated. I'm like, no, I want dollars. I want American people money. (laughs) So 1987, $30 in 2020 is $68.42. I think that that is a decently expensive amount for a high schooler to get their hands on. Yeah, wasn't she like 14 or something? Something like that. Like 13 or 14. So that's $70. That is a lot of money for somebody of that age. I mean, it's a lot of money to anybody, really. Also a foster kid. Yes, although you kind of wonder... I mean... No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going into it. I'm not. I'm not going into the backstory for Laura because this episode is not about Jem. This episode is about Maxie. It just Jem's so much better. So there's so much more to talk about. We gotta talk about the Maxie dolls too. The dolls are good. Oh, I know. I know. I feel terrible saying it. Well, yeah. Well, I think I was saving this for final thoughts, but I'll just say it now. Maxie as a doll line is just as good if not better in some areas than Jem, and I love the dolls. And I think the reason Jem is so fondly remembered is because of her cartoon, and the reason Maxie isn't really remembered by anybody 
is because Maxie's cartoon was badly animated and the storylines were just weird special episodes. Well, and special episodes do make for a memorable show when they're done decently, but yeah. It's just, you know, like, I love the Maxie dolls and... You said that you, while doing research, you'd seen somebody called Maxie a Barbie clone, hadn't you? Yes, there's actually a review on the Maxie's World IMDb page ranting about how Maxie is just a Barbie clone and is forgotten so often because her show sucks. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting at, is Maxie is a doll, is, she's really unique, she's really great, I love her, and then... Again, it's because the fiction component, the fiction component is so valuable to memorability. People remember Monster High and have huge nostalgia for it because its media was so comprehensive. Like the Monster High universe really drew people in. When Monster High came out, I did not like the dolls at all. And the only reason I own any Monster High dolls, and I actually own many now, not as many as some people, but exclusively because I watched the movies when I was bored and it just made me fall in love with the characters. They're great. They're really fun. And the voice actors do a smashing job. It's just, it pulls you in. Also, can I, uh, can I read this review from IMDb? Oh, please. Yes. I fear there will not be much meat on the bone when we actually discuss the episodes. And that's why we've put it off this long already. So this is a review on Maxie's World IMDb titled there is a reason you forgot this cartoon uh january 14th year 2000 oh my god maxi's world was a terrible barbie ripoff where the rich (laughs) high school kids worried about their dates and shopping the choppy animation hurt the voices hurt and the hurting was only offset by the corny though catchy saban levy theme song it was often shown along with gem and the holograms cartoons that that's interesting to me. Haim Saban is the architect of many a childhood, and he has his fingers in so many theme songs. Like Chuki Levy and Haim Saban, they did um they did the Inspector Gadget theme song. They oh my god, anything. And the fact they did the Maxi World theme song is very very interesting to me because one thing I always think is kind of strange about Maxi is her theme song is so different to the commercials. You know, Jem's theme song is the same music and lyrical structure as the adverts, but then Maxie's World's commercials are like, look there, who's that girl with the beautiful hair? And it's like very like beachy and soft. And then the TV show's theme song is like really like high energy. Like none of the lyrics are the same. None of the none of the like phrases they use are like on brand. I mean, it's a great song. I love it. Like the, and also the animation in the opening sequence is so gorgeous. Like if you only watched that, I think you'd probably have a more enjoyable experience than watching an episode of the TV series. Well, Ferdy and Mushroom aren't 90% of the opening. No, that they, they appear in it only very, very briefly at the end. And you could, you could maybe ignore them if you didn't know who they were. Yeah. I think it's also notable that the that Halloween episode we watched, Simone does not really get a chance to say anything in the episode. I'm like, oh boy, this is worse than Sheena. <laughs> Simone was barely on screen in that episode. 
Yeah. Maxie was barely on screen that episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see watching more episodes if Simone actually gets to be in them. Yeah, well, I think maybe maybe if we watch that episode, Halloween is coming up. You know, we are in the uh, dying breaths of summer. Autumn is on its way. So there is actually another episode of Maxie's World, which is on YouTube. And to put it charitably, is a blatant ripoff of the real Ghostbusters. So maybe we could watch that one. That would be fun. Yeah, it's called uh, Goodbye Ghoul World, and it's paired with Surfside Over the Rainbow, which <laughs> is the episode where Maxie gets a concussion and imagines her life as Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of pop culture references in this. So, okay, what what episodes shall we watch? So, what is available? Well, immediately on Google, I can see True Brit slash Do or Diary. True Brit is the one where Rob's British cousin comes to visit, and Maxie gets insanely jealous and thinks they are dating because apparently uh, some apparently everybody neglected to inform her that it is Rob's cousin and not his girlfriend visiting uh that is paired with do or diary when the antagonist mean girl's diary gets stolen and published in the school newspaper and maxi is nice to her i guess unclear um the phantom artist which i think is the special episode about graffiti and then teaching an old teacher new tricks which i don't i haven't read the summary for but i feel like it's its name is self-explanatory Maxie's World, Fat Chance, which is the weird VHS rip of the Anorexia episode, which I th- I think is only f- four and a half minutes long, according to the timestamp, which would be uh, an ins... No, I, I found that one, and the person uploaded it in two parts, because this is a video from 2008. Oh, okay, thank God. So I was going to say. There's one that is four minutes and... 48 seconds and then there is a part two that's six minutes and 20 seconds okay so we'll have to watch that one because we've spoken about it we've already watched the not so great outdoors and the maxi horror picture show which we've already kind of spoken about i didn't watch the not so great outdoors i mean we skimmed it we we watched like we watched like every few minutes and we're just like the conclusion this is bad yeah, well, I mean, it starts with it starts with Maxie like calling her boyfriend sexist, and all I could think was, "We're supposed to want to buy him. Like, why are you making him be so nasty?" Yeah, I know he should be defending his girlfriend against his terrible friends. Yeah, like people are hateful about Rio and call him like terrible, and then then Rob is there being like, "Oh, Maxie, you're a girl. You can't go camping." <laughs> Not that Rio's not also sometimes like that, but not about camping. Okay, so something about Beverly Hills Teens, which has just become very relevant to Maxie's world. Beverly Hills Teens production is split between being outsourced to a Japanese company and being animated in America, I believe. So half of the episodes are of a very high quality with very detailed animation, and then the other half are of a very distinctly lower quality and there seems to be an episode of maxi which is called it's either a day in the life of rob or it's to be or not to be ferdy 
which I can see from the preview YouTube is showing me is apparently quite well animated. And I'm wondering if this was maybe animated by a different animation studio or potentially even the actual like pilot, which was like shown to networks before the show was actually like made or something. Because to be or not to Ferdy, that is the, what, what one is that? What is that about? Before we dive into Maxi, I thought a segment that might be quite fun would be looking at the world that created her. Right, so we're going to take you back to that 1986-1987 period that Maxi would have been in development. Because I think something that happens a lot with dolls is people act like things which were representative of their time are completely original to the doll. Or like it's a wild, wacky, crazy thing with no explanation, when actually it's tied to a, a very real trend from the time. Like people thinking Fred and Daphne's ascots, to go back to the Hanna-Barbera thing from earlier, are just crazy character design, when actually Scooby-Doo was in development during a very brief window when ascots were super in fashion for both men and women. Or if you look at Hollywood Gem without the context that that's when Cher was first beginning her movie career and 1987 was actually the year she got an Oscar. So the fact that that's around the time that Hollywood Gem was in development and those episodes of the Gem cartoon came out, it's very uh, of its time. Yeah, Gem being bullied by off-brand... Who was that old lady supposed to be again? Oh, um... I could have told you a second ago. It's because I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the Academy Award nominees for Best Actress in 1987 would have been Sigourney Weaver, which is why I believe she's Sigourney Loomis. Yep. In Gem. Which makes sense. Yes. Um, Jane Fonda, Sissy Spacek, Marley Matlin, and Kathleen Turner. I think it was maybe the year before, because I think the lady that they based it on, she like died in 1987. Yeah, let's check what the 86 nominees were. I thought I was going to edit this out, but you know, this actually sounds quite good. Yes, yeah, so 1986, uh, we had Anne Bancroft, Jessica Lange, Whoopi Goldberg, Meryl Streep, and Geraldine Page. Geraldine Page, she's who the Geraldine Pathos character is based on. Yes. Which is quite sad, really. But I think, I think that she did actually have a a beef with somebody. Maybe she bullied Cher. Maybe Jem truly is Cher. Well, and I think that the whole arc of Jem uh, becoming an actress very much mirrors public perception of what was going on with Cher's career at the time. And if you think about pop stars in the 80s that everyone would have been familiar with that were very flamboyant you think of Cher there's only one comment on the wiki page on the gem wiki for um Hollywood gem and the comment is saying how unrealistic and stupid it is that gem would be nominated for an oscar because singers make movies all the time and it's like not in, in not in 1988 they didn't <laughs> No, they didn't. That's why it was such a big deal when Cher was becoming an actress, because there was still very big divisions between TV and film acting. The Let alone singers and acting. Yeah, being a TV actor was not a respectable profession 
in the eyes of the film industry, and there was very few actors that actually made that leap. So when a film actor appeared on TV, that was the end of their career. They couldn't really go back to film very well after that. That was kind of a signal of having given up on film acting. And they've gone down in people's estimations. Incidentally, do you know what else was one of the top-rated TV shows for 1987? And in many ways, is related to film actors making the jump to TV. Hmm. Murder, she wrote. Because Angela Lansbury used to get all her friends, who she'd acted with in the golden age of cinema, to be on her show as guest stars to make sure they got their SAG cards and their SAG insurance. Yes, that is something where it's um, used to be a lot harder for actresses, well, for older actresses to actually get work. It still is, but... You know, TV was the only thing left to do for a lot of aged actors in the olden days. When you look at a lot of um, old actors from the sort of 40s and 50s um, career pages, normally Murder, She Wrote is the last thing that comes up on before they died. Mm -hmm. It's really a shame that it was like that. Oh, no, but the thing is, it wasn't like they were circling the drain so they had to be on Murder, She Wrote. It It was like... They knew each other, and she would have them come on the show oh, to have no, fun. Not at all, what I meant. I meant that being an older actor, that TV was your only option in the older days. That's actually ah, okay. That's also this is getting a little bit off topic. Why, um, whatever happened? I mean, we live off topic. <laughs> whatever happened to Baby Jane was such a big deal for film because it was not only one older actress making a comeback in film, but two. And the fact that it sort of brought about an entire new genre in horror. A lot of people now use the term like hag horror, but it's... Psycho biddy. Uh, yeah, either hag horror or psycho biddy, just a whole new genre of mentally unstable old women horror movies. And it's it's an unfortunate genre, but it also gave work to a lot of struggling older actresses. So, uh, I was well, I mean, Arsenic and Old Lace predates it by like 20 years, and that's kind of a precursor to the genre. Yeah, Arsenic and Old Lace, that's sort of just in a... It's sort of its own thing. It's hard to really count that as being a horror film. It's more like... A black comedy? A black comedy genre satire, almost. You can definitely tell it was written to be a play and not a movie. <laughs> yeah. In one, in one room mostly, so yes, you can tell it was a play. Well, you know what features prominently in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Hmm. That ugly ass China doll. Segwaying back to dolls and yeah. back to Maxie. <laughs> From bitty horror to high school girls. Well, I mean, in many ways, high school is its own horror. It really is. So... Other notable things that happened in 1987 that were shaping your world. The Simpsons made its television debut as part of another comedy series as a small segment. Open Your Heart to Me by Madonna was a very big song. Love in the First Degree by Bananarama was another big song. Uh, Dirty Dancing came out. That 50s revival is palpable. This for Bobby this- and the Sensations Who? Oh yeah, that's, I was just about to mention that that's the year Barbie and the Sensations came out. Also the year that that Barbie uh, animated special came out too. 
Also, kind of unrelated, but I think it's interesting, is it's the year talks started for Disneyland Paris's development. Which, I kn- this isn't a podcast about Disney, but I'm not sure if many people realise this, but French people hated the idea of Disney coming there because they hated America, and people had, like, riotous protests trying to stop it from being built. Yeah, they definitely did. There was a lot of work put into trying to give it a European flavor so that people would hate it less. <clears throat> well, and that's also why, like, uh, instead of having a sci-fi-themed land, they have, like, more of a steampunk Jules Verne-themed land. Mm. And for a long time, their main roller coaster was based off of, like, Journey to the Moon instead of being, like, a true sci-fi thing. Unfortunately, it got reskinned as Star Wars, I think. Everything has been reskinned, basically. They used to have a fantastic restaurant that was uh, decked out like a Victorian um, blimp, skyship type thing, and it's been completely reskinned into a, a Star Wars. Yeah. But I mean, externally, it's still a really cool steampunk blimp, and then internally, it's just all of the TVs are playing repeats of Star Wars cartoons. Yeah, a lot of people are pretty upset about that and want the steampunk to come back, and I sort of agree. I'm not even a an amusement park person. I've been to one amusement park once when I was four, but I do really like the fact that they put so much work and love into making it steampunk for Europe. <laughs> and then now it's just gone down the drain to, to yet another Star Wars themed thing. And I say that as someone who loves Star Wars, so... And I'm somebody who's never seen a Star Wars movie in my entire life because I hate Star Wars fans so much it turned me off of the entire property. (sighs) We're still friends, though. Well, that's the thing. When you grow up on on Star Wars as a little girl, you know, you got... There wasn't a lot of good action stuff that had cool female characters that was, like, readily accessible when I was a kid, so... We are going terrifyingly off-course. Yet again. And you know what else happened in the 80s? Uh, Star Wars happened. So there we go. There's our segue back. (laughs) Well, you know, aesthetically it does tie into a lot of stuff. Maybe not with Jem and Maxi, but there's there's other properties, you know. And Star Wars was a mini nuke going off in the toy industry anyway. So, you know, it's relevant. Yeah, Kenner's Star Wars line really did change everything in the toy industry and hey that's why gi joe happened and gi joe had a cartoon and gem had a cartoon and so did maxi so segueing back to maxi so i'm gonna google see when 90210 premiered i think that was more of a 90s franchise but oh yeah uh, 1990 well even though it's post-dates Maxi, I feel like 90210 is very much in the same vein as, like, sexy beach teens living in California. So, you know, it was in the air in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, I feel like the 80s really was when the concept of 80s teen movies, like, well, just teen movies really blew up, because there had been, you know, you get Judy Garland movies in the old days, in the 60s you had the occasional teen romances but in the 80s that's when you really get those movies about high schoolers you get well things like heathers for one thing well i mean the heathers hairstyles are very much in the realm of maxi yeah heathers really was like 
Well, that was 88, but it speaks to the type of fashion and teen lifestyle that was happening. Well, actually, going back to the hair thing, I do think something notable about Maxi versus Gem is almost all of the Gem dolls have mullets, except Raya and Rock and Curl Gem. And Maxi, I think, is quite notable in the fact that she just has really lovely, wavy, curly hair, and none of her dolls have a mullet. Yeah, she has the teased-out floof without having the choppy layers. Yeah, and it's nice. I think Maxie's hair, I mean, as the advert says, the girl with the beautiful hair. I think Maxie's hair is probably one of her best features. Yeah, it's it's big for the time period, but it's also very sleek and smooth and brushable. It's easy to style. It's actually pretty hard to ruin in my experience with them. That's because it's nylon. Hasbro liked their sturdy doll hair. Well, and I think that's because Hasbro had such a back well, such a history in boys' toys and, like, action toys where they were going to be going through mud and getting thrown at stuff. So they built toys to be really sturdy, whereas a lot of girls' toys weren't as focused on that idea of sturdiness, because, you know, not all girls, but I think there's a general idea that girls would be more gentle with their toys. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gem and Maxi are both very sturdy toys. I'm, I was saying to somebody earlier, like, Rio is basically an offensive weapon. Like, if you were a child and your sibling hit you with a Rio doll, you were going to die. <laughs> You're going to be hospitalized. Yeah. Like, there is some heft. Blunt force trauma. Um, so, yeah, Maxi's really sturdy, but also, just going back to the hair thing, I think... It's interesting because big hair was such an important part of late 80s fashion. And Hasbro really seized on that with Maxi because all of the accessory sets came with a hair accessory. She had banana clips and hair grips and scrunchies and all sorts of fun things to do with her hair. Yeah, and she does have a lot of hair too, but not necessarily in length. And I'd actually on that note of hair, I think it's really interesting that Maxi saw a return to uh, hair grow dolls which were a big thing in the late 60s and early 70s, but hadn't been seen much since. Well, they haven't really been seen since the Maxi doll. Yeah, the only other notable hair grow doll since that Maxi doll that I can think of off the top of my head is the Rapunzel Barbie for the Barbie Rapunzel movie. But even that was very, that was early 2000s. That was my childhood and now I'm in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, there have been hair play dolls with a feature on restyling it, but they normally have a focus on adding extensions after you cut the hair, not so much cranking the hair back into the body and pulling it to make it go longer. Like, there is um, hair play dolls that go for the hair length hair play, but they don't have changing length. Although, I do think on Maxi it is slightly redundant because there's not much of it. Yeah, I don't think it is the best implemented one. I think part of that problem is they don't work as well uh, at a 12-inch scale. I would say there's the same problem with the Barbie Rapunzel one as well, has that similar problem of most of her hair is rooted and already long, so the changing length doesn't do as much from the small ponytail. Meanwhile, a doll like Tressie... Tressie had an oversized head, and the amount of hair on the hair grow part was larger, so you could brush it around to actually make it look like her hair length was changing. And then same with dolls like 
Chrissy, who is the most famous hair grow doll. Yeah, well, I also think the change in hairstyle taste affects that because 1960s hairstyles are way more conducive to having a shorter portion at the front and then a longer portion at the back, which you can style in different ways. Whereas, like you said, with Maxie and Barbie Rapunzel, the hair's already long. And then the growing portion of the hair tends to get lost in the already long hair. And it doesn't really make much of a difference. It's kind of a drop in the ocean. Yeah. The other... Now, I'd like to ask you about this, because I have a thrifted, sort of beat-up hair grow maxi. I know that you have, like, a nice, very fresh one. So I've noticed on mine that her ponytail section has a completely different color of hair than the rest of her rooted hair. Have you noticed that about yours? Is that, like, a, I have. a bad aging thing, do you wonder? Or do you, is that just something that was always like that? I think it was probably always like that because it is a significantly lighter shade of blonde. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think maybe maybe being charitable, if we were styling Maxie's hair more, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I've made her hair grow long, I've just kind of pulled it out long and then wound it back and been like, oh, that's neat. I haven't really styled it. And I think being charitable, if I was a child playing with all of my lovely Maxi hair accessories I got from the Maxi fashion sets and doing things with her hair, maybe it would make more of an impact if I'd styled it into a ponytail and was extending the ponytail or extending something that was twisted round or something. Well, and so many of the Maxi dolls have that little like sectioned off side pony with like a scrunchie or a big bow in it. That having that separate ponytail probably made it a little bit simpler for kids to do those hairstyles. Makes sense. And have to part and section it off the same way. Yes. Um. While we're on the topic of dance and romance, Maxie, I do have to say I love the rose motif her comb and the key to turn her hair with have. I just think it is really pretty. And it manages to be feminine without being like overly twee. Yeah, it's something that I sort of miss about maybe earlier 80s fashion dolls as a lot of rose motifs. You don't see those as much in the late 80s. No, I love, like, floral motifs, and especially roses, are my go-to favorite with dolls. Mm-hmm. I feel like going into the 90s, you got a lot of floral motifs, but was that very stylized, uh, almost mod-era throwback type of flowers? Oh, yeah. Very Polly Pocket. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably said all we can say about the period that birthed Maxie. We didn't even talk about the period that much. No, we didn't. We've we've been taping for two hours. Thoughts about Maxie. Um, there had not really been a good high school themed doll line probably since the early eighties with Mattel's Star. And even then I can't think of one prior to that that was very teen life in that way. Like, even Barbie had been launched as the teenage fashion doll, but most of her school references in her early products were college, honestly. Oh, definitely. The the iconography they used for the, the sweet shop and the, the sort of campus hero stuff, it's all very, you know, and they did a dorm playset. Like, Barbie definitely much came across as a college yeah. girl. Like, Barbie's books may have been about her being a high schooler, like the novels and picture books and such, but in the line itself, Barbie was always a college student with a job in modeling. There wasn't a lot of that teen life 
in fashion dolls up until like the late 70s, early 80s when we got Star. And then again, like in the 80s, we didn't get that again much until Maxi came out. And then, of course, there was Jazzy. And then the 90s. The coolest girl in school. Yeah. And then in the 90s, we got a lot more of that teen. I think partially because Skipper was being used a little more heavily. Skipper had been aged up. She'd become cool teen, Skipper. Yeah. Well, I think around that time, what age Barbie is supposed to be became more ambiguous. So you got more teen Barbie and adult Barbie at the same time. Well, well, I think that is an interesting thing. Without going too much onto Barbie, I do think Maxie being very clearly a medium young teenager... um, with a boyfriend and a group of friends is is very unique to her because the thing is with Barbie, she is... I mean, I always think of Barbie as being in her late 20s, early 30s. Like, as a character, that's who she is to me. Because I grew up with 90s Barbie being a like a businesswoman. Yeah, well, Barbie is a career woman and they've pushed careers for so long in the line that it's hard to think of her as being a teenager. But then you get Maxie, and Maxie is so youthful in a way that Barbie just wasn't. And not to say that Barbie was an ancient hag in the 80s. No, not at all, but she was very... You're not the Bratz cartoon, so don't say that. Well, no, I'm not saying that is what my point is, but Barbie was so... You know, she was a rock star, she was a career woman, she was an adult through and through. Skipper was just starting to be used in her more aged-up form. Uh, Jazzy was just coming into existence and wouldn't be around for very long, but Maxie really honed in on this whole youthful market that there hadn't been in dolls. I think the only other line I can think of from around that time that really pushed the fact they were teenagers is maybe um, Spectra, which of course also was not around for very long, and They didn't really push the school angle that much, like the high school student angle, because they were space aliens. Yeah, Spectra being in high school is kind of way down the list of things you think of with her. Like, primarily it's, she is from space. And then the second thing is like, she wears lace. She's here to party. (laughs) Spectra is here to party. Like, all of the branding, all of the, the packaging, it's all like, Spectra has come down from space to go clubbing. That is that is why Spectra's here. She is here to eat pizza, experience ice cream, go shopping, and go clubbing. Like that, that is, is much of what Spectra's branding is. And that's why Spectra was only here for a year, because when she found out she was gonna have to go to school, she she could not get back to that spaceship fast enough. <laughs> yeah. Um I know I've made this joke with you before, but like Queer Eye, but it's just Shimrons that take you clubbing and then leave it without making your life better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Style of Blue talks to you about your feelings a little bit and she doesn't really offer any help or she's any like, guidance. That's rough, son. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, that sucks. And then Spectra comes over and she's like, hey, Style of Blue, have you tried vodka? <laughs> Okay, we're not we're not promoting underage drinking. They are teenagers. <laughs> well, I mean, in England, you can drink when you're a teenager. Yes, but you gotta admit, it's Mattel. It's American. 
Yeah, well, Spectra didn't come to England. Spectra came to America. And, and do you know what came? Do you know what came to England? Oh, you say your thing. She came to America and France, where they were known as the Chromatics. Which is such a beast name. That is so cool. Yeah, that is really cool branding. I think both Spectra and Chromatics are both really good branding for the line, especially with oh, that definitely. radiant logo. Yeah, you get Spectra. In England, we have Space Fantasy Cindy. Well, Space Fantasy Cindy was more a response to, like, the astronaut Barbie line. We're back to sci-fi again. Oh, love that return to the uh, Star Wars effect on the toy industry. I think it's so funny that everything is going in circles with this, because as we learnt in the other episode, plot twist, Maxie was actually American Cindy before having her name changed, and we've ended up talking about 80s British Cindy. Yeah, um... Cindy is an interesting thing because she's simultaneously an adult but does not look like it. But it's impossible for me to imagine Cindy being a teenager. Like, she's either a child or an adult, but never a teen. That's because Cindy never did anything fun. Cindy looks like a toddler and then she... Cindy was a toddler and then she went into a cocoon and emerged an adult. There was no adolescence for her. The thing is, when I think of Cindy, I think of that bit in one of the old adverts where she's got, like, a cooker playset and she's, like, frying eggs and bacon. And, like, to me, Cindy is just, like, a domestic wench, while Barbie is, like, glamorous and pretty. Okay, okay maybe don't call her a wench. But she is very domestic. <laughs> brought to America, uh, they entirely marketed her on her quality dollhouse furniture, like, the dolls were like, yeah, we gotta have some dolls to market this furniture with, but we're marketing the furniture because no one else is making good furniture right now. Cindy's furniture really is spectacular. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and you know, that is literally what Marks <laughs> Marks use Cindy as a vehicle to market furniture. <laughs> well, I guess it's just like those clone lines that would have a awful doll and then sell really nice fashions to go with them. Mm -hmm, Because that's really where the money was to be made. You know, people aren't going to buy a clone doll if they can afford the Barbie, but they will buy clone outfits for Barbie if they're nice. Yeah, and I think that's something which we've really lost now. Fashion sets have just kind of disappeared from the doll market at the moment, and I really hope they come back. Well, and that's kind of why I've moved away from contemporary dolls currently, is like, I'm so much someone, I want to buy one or two dolls and then have lots of outfits and get to have that fashion play and dressing them for display. And right now, so many dolls on the market are, you get the doll and only the outfits that she might come with on the side. There aren't outfits available, and so I'm just not interested in them because I know that I can't buy more clothes and I can't buy their clothes for the dolls I already have either. No, like, when I first got back into doll collecting, when I was about 11, um, I had a very, very brief period when I didn't like dolls, when I was um, in secondary school, and I was like, I'm mature and I'm grown up, and and then Toy Story 3 happened, and it reignited my love of Barbie after three years of denying myself Barbie, (laughs) and um, I started buying up all of the Barbie fashionistas and the fashion sets and stuff to go with her, and... I remember 
the fashion sets being very limited and feeling this sense of things used to be better when I was a child and Fashion Avenue was on sale. Yeah, and I'm gonna segue back to talking to Matt about Maxie again, but that's honestly was something Maxie did really well, was they sold lots of separates, lots of accessory packs. They did, um, instead of doing proper outfits that were all coordinated to only go with that outfit like a lot of doll lines do they did so cool coordinates which were packs of different separates like you could buy a pack that had a pair of pants and suspenders or you could buy just a sweater with a cool graphic on it you could buy a pack that was belts shoes and earrings and you know you and a hair scrunchie yeah and you weren't encouraged to keep this outfit together as oh now I'm changing my doll into this outfit that is all, you know, does not match anything else in the line. Instead, you were really encouraged to do that fashion play, that mix and match that a lot of doll lines have moved away from now. And that's something Maxie did really well because those clothes fit a lot of the other dolls on the market. So even if you didn't own a Maxie, you could still buy these great accessory packs for your other dolls. Yeah, and... Like we said, the accessory packs were selling stuff other dolls really didn't have. You know, you could get banana clips at one-sixth scale for Maxi. Great hair play pieces. And all of the clothes are really gorgeous, gorgeous quality. And I don't know if we've spoken about it on air before, but one thing I always feel really sad never came out for Gem were Gem's version of this, which were going to be the matching medley fashions. And Gems matching medley fashions were all planned to each come in three different colour variants. So you could buy the same bikini set in three different colours. You could buy the same accessory set in three different colours, so on and so forth. And that's what Maxi did. So you could buy the same skirt for Maxi in three different colour options. You could buy the same jumper in three different colour options. Yeah, that hadn't really been seen since maybe the 70s when... Best Buy outfits were available in lots of fabric variants, and the 60s, when that was part of the whole Barbie fashion pack deal, was that you could get the set, the same blouse, the same coat, the same skirt in, you know, two to, well, ever, however many color and fabric variations. You could get it in stripes or solid colors, and it was fantastic. It really does feel like you're building a complete wardrobe, and I think that, again, is one of Maxie's strengths, is she has such a comprehensive wardrobe. She has clothes for all all sorts of occasions in so many different colours and styles. She has beautiful underwear sets, she has a beautiful pyjama doll, she has a beautiful swimsuit. And she does have her nice gowns on the... Uh... Hair Grow Doll Dance and Romance, she has her prom outfit, she has some other nice formal wear, but then she also has all this great athletic wear, lounge wear, casual day-to-day wear. Yeah, something which I think is notable is Maxie's formal wear was actually sectioned off in its own fashion line called Dance and Romance Fashions. So, because I think that is... Yeah, the fashions, I think the Dance and Romance Fashions are a little bit harder to come by than all the coordinates but well i think it's interesting because a problem i have with a lot of doll lines is they don't seem to differentiate the formal wear from the day wear and a lot of current fashion dolls tend to have quite formal daytime fashions and i don't really like that yeah i 
do have to agree. You can buy cocktail dresses and only cocktail dresses. Yeah, um, that definitely is a weird thing about dolls right now is that there's like a lot of club wear and evening wear, but not a lot of pajamas. Or underwear, really. Lingerie and underwear have almost completely vanished from dolls, and I really miss it. And that's something where this is kind of uh, my opinion based on my play patterns as a child, but I feel like giving little girls access to doll underwear is kind of important, especially bras, because let's face it, dolls tend to have a lot more panties than bras. And I think that dolls should have bras again, because bras are sort of like taboo to children there inappropriate and adult and then one day you have to start wearing them and it's like this foreign alienated concept but if you've been playing with your adult body doll having a bra this whole time then that's not as scary of a thing to have to start doing that's a really great way to look at it yeah like naturally i'm not saying that dolls should have sexualized underwear but i do think that children should have access to doll lingerie well i do wonder how much of it vanishing from the doll scene is maybe parents perceiving it as a sexualized thing when it's really not because at the end of the day everybody wears underwear and it's not an inherently sexual item no i've i've always considered the fact that underwear has kind of disappeared from doll lines as being because adults considered the idea of a lingerie outfit pack as like, oh, that's the outfit. She's not supposed to wear that with something. In the 90s, Barbie had lots of lingerie. I have some of the outfit packs and they're really beautiful and I don't think that they'd be too inappropriate for a child. Well, they're not. They're not really low cut or revealing. They're just lovely adult lingerie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that that's... Um... We've sat here for a while talking about just underwear in particular, but I do stand on my idea that dolls need bras again. <laughs> well, the only thing I'd say is that sometimes with layering, it could be too bulky, and I, I understand why you wouldn't necessarily have it all the time. But I do like it as a separate thing. I remember as a child, my most desired fashion set that I never got was a blue lingerie set for Fashion Avenue which I wanted desperately and um, I never got. And then I bought last year and it is one of my favorite things in my collection. Well, and I actually, I display, I have a standard straight leg from the sixties Barbie. So the ones that have the twist and turn face sculpt, but on the straight leg body. And I display her in a nineties Barbie lingerie outfit just because it's pretty, it's cute. It's a uh, pink gant gingham with lace trim and then a little pair of thigh-high stockings. Oh, I've been meaning to buy that one. Yeah, so that's what I display my uh, my brunette mod straight leg in, and I don't know, I think that I would have really enjoyed having that outfit as a kid, especially since the top for that one works as either a bustier or just a shirt. Yeah, it's really nice. And when you put the pieces together, it looks more like a teddy because they seamlessly kind of flow into each other. Well, getting back off this topic and back to Maxi, because I think the underwear segment of Maxi is interesting because Maxi's underwear is very much a young teenager's underwear. It's not, you know, 
Barbie's lingerie from the 90s is things like sheer dressing gowns and um, corsets with ribbons on them. But Maxie's underwear was like polka dot panties and a polka dot vest with like a ruffle trim on it. Yeah, it was much more trainer bra. <laughs> it really, really was trainer bra. Well, also, I love the the name for the maxi uh, underwear outfit packs was called Lacey Basics, and I just really like that name. It's so cute. It's very descriptive of what it is without being like underwear or lingerie. Well, that's what I really like about Maxi is I feel like the naming and all of the iconography does tie together into a very cohesive and unique thing. Which I'm again, I'm I don't this is turning into like me hating on Cindy and I really don't mean it to be, but when I think of a doll, I like to think of the doll's iconography and the kind of things you think of with that doll. Like to me, when you think of Barbie, the iconography is uh, sunshine, palm trees, hot pink, stars. When you think of Darcy, it's turquoise gold, disco, kind of bright lights roller disco nightclub when you think of gem it's lightning bolts neon palm trees um, guitars music notes and when you think of maxi her iconography is really pastel it's kind of a beachy high school everything's pastel like uh honestly when i think of maxi i think maxi is one of the most at least her branding and packaging and graphic design side of things is one of the most vaporwave doll lines there is. Yeah. And all the vaporwave edit creators out there are missing out on getting into Maxi's graphic design. But this is what I mean, and this is where I think it's really interesting that Maxi was developed from originally being a Cindy adaptation, is because Maxi's iconography and graphic design is really unique and really distinctive. Everything has a very centralized color palette of kind of lavender baby blue and kind of a a dusty rose pink well and her packaging is that neon teal and purple and yellow mostly yeah and it it really meshes together really nicely and when you think of the kind of things you associate with her it's very it's very condensed it's kind of a sporty beach girl in a way that barbie's not really a sporty beach girl and then when I think of Cindy, I just think it's kind of like a generic kind of copying Barbie, but kind of not copying, but it's just very washed out. Like, oh, it's like a generic shade of pink and, and then some hearts and then or oh, maybe some more generic purpley kind of colour. And oh, it's very, oh, oh, like, you know, there's not. Cindy has, a lot of Cindy has very grounded colour palettes, which I think is one of the reasons she doesn't like tend to pop as much. Well, I think the main thing i'm thinking of with cindy's super generic packaging is the very 90s cindy when she you know she did basically turn into a barbie clone which i think is a low point in cindy's history that is very sad that was a low point i do think that there was some good things within that period but overall it did make her a lot more generic as whereas before her rebrand she was a remnant from another era, but that did also make her more unique because that was a style of doll that wasn't really on the market anymore. Yeah, Tammy was long dead. Yeah, Tammy was long dead. Um, Tressie was long dead. A lot of those 
very baby-faced dolls of the 60s and 70s just weren't around anymore, so it did make Cindy stand out amongst her competitors in the 80s. And then you get uh, dolls like Cindy's friend Marie, which is on my grail list of dolls I would really like to own, who just has a very unique look to her. And then you sort of lose this unique retro vibe that she had from having stayed what she was for decades at that point. And she just became so generic in the 90s. Well, that is really where she died anyway. I mean, by the time I was growing up, Cindy was completely dead in the water. And, you know, you kind of knew who she was from cultural osmosis and people kind of using it as a term for fashion doll. But, you know, Cindy wasn't on the market, really. They, there was a couple of failed reboots. Um, I mean, there's always a failed reboot with Cindy. She's forever being brought back and not doing well. And every time she does come back, the mainstream media publishes a million articles calling Barbie slutty and saying Bar- and saying Cindy will finally reclaim her throne and replace Barbie for good and how British people don't like Barbie, which is just insane to me. And That is why I think that Maxie would not have worked as a Cindy reboot because Maxie, in her core, is just so American. Everything about her is such an American, California girl sort of vibe. Her swimsuit dolls have an American flag on the side of the box. Yeah, she's so all-American. And thinking of her as being, having originated as being the Cindy reboot is insane to me. It is quite jarring, yeah. Of course, I think that that's why the Cindy reboot failed, because America didn't need that Cindy because we already had Barbie and all the other Barbie clones. But... You know, Cindy became so American in her tastes in the 90s that she didn't really fit the niche where she had been in Europe. Yeah, well, that's the thing with Cindy. Like, again, I don't hate Cindy. I know it might seem like I do, but it's more a frustration at the mainstream perception of Cindy and the way she's spoken about in a way that is really ridiculous and really winds me up. Um... I think, you know, that I think there is definitely a place in the market for a a more I don't like the word wholesome, because that suggests there's something wrong with other dolls like Barbie. I would say maybe a more homely kind of doll. A more I mean, again, I don't like the saying the word conservative to call uh to refer to her, but you know what I mean, and I'm sure the listeners know what I mean. A kind of well, a she, gentler alternative. That's a good word, gentler. Grounded in a way. And it, she sort of fits into that niche that things like the Hart family filled in the 80s. And we don't have a lot on the market right now that's sort of like that, that more uh, grounded. Domestic. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and dolls... Honestly, I feel like Barbie almost fills that niche more than anything else right now. Barbie's branding right now is such a diversion from what it's been all through her history. On honestly, like Barbie is very grounded, very domestic. There's other than things like Dreamtopia, there's not a lot of fantasy elements to Barbie anymore. Let's wrap up our discussion of Maxie and 1987 before we uh, before we get into our discussion of the Maxie TV show. Final thoughts on the Maxi doll, what would you say? Uh, the Maxi doll line could have used a little bit more diversity. You had one black friend who was not included in all the lines, and there wasn't really any characters from any other ethnicities represented. It was a lot of white girls. 
So even though I do really like the line, I think that's super high quality. And honestly, people who think she's just a Barbie clone, I think are just unfamiliar with the line. Yeah, same. I think it's very bad faith to say she's a Barbie clone. But yeah, I do think that could have used more diversity, but is still an amazing product and something that could use more of a collector community. Yeah, Um, my final thought, I would probably say I feel more charitable towards Maxie's lack of diversity because it isn't really that different from what other toy lines were doing then. Um, Gem being so super diverse was very much an exception to the rule. Um, I do agree with that, but I think seeing as she comes from the same company and was being developed at the same time, you know, had some of the same designers. I just think that they could have done the same thing they did for Jem in Maxi, and they didn't. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it would be really nice to have a Hispanic doll in the line, at yeah. least. I will say that it's like, I'm not going to condemn Maxi for it, because most toys at the time weren't very diverse at all, so she was very much of the time, but it could have been better. Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of the reason I'm sort of uh, defending Maxie, even if personally I, I am a bit, you know, like I would have liked the Hispanic doll, is just because, again, I really like Maxie, and having Stephanie on the show was so great, and I really loved talking to her, and I'm really scared of, like, new doll fans that, you know, can be a tiny bit crazy, being angry at Maxie or being angry at her, and I really hope they're not. Please, please don't. Please don't be angry. Barbie didn't have an Asian doll reliably till the 90s. Yeah. It's not unusual. Maxie wasn't unusual. Jem was definitely uh, a trailblazer in her level of diversity. My only reason I even bring it up with Maxie is the fact that since she was following after Jem from the same company and creators. That's the only reason I'm really... Yeah, no, no, I get that, I get that. Um, so what's yeah. your final thought? Um, so my final thought is, I think, I like how sturdy Maxie is as a doll. I love her clothes. And again, I think her iconography and the kind of... This is this is something I talk about a lot and might sound like a crazy person to people, but do you know what I mean when I say, like, the mood of a doll, if that makes sense? Her vibe, her aesthetic. Yeah, like, the kind of mood the doll portrays. Like, to me, again, going back to Darcy, because I am a big Darcy collector, um... To me, when I look at Darcy, the kind of mood Darcy portrays is very vivacious. She's dancing. She's at a roller disco. And for me, the mood Maxie kind of portrays is very, very like mellow. Like she's laying on her bed, like on the phone to her friends. She's flicking her hair. And this is all stuff that happens in the advert for her. So, you know, that's probably why that comes to mind for me. But I, I do really like it. I think it's soft without being juvenile if that makes sense it's not she's soft but energetic she's a very energetic doll like she manages to be a very sporty athletic character but still wear a pink skirt with hearts on it and have like a hair bow you know yeah it's like there isn't a division between femininity and athleticism with maxi yeah, and I think I think that is something really interesting about her, and I think it's something that is quite unique about her as well, that 
you know, she is very, very athletic. And also, like we said, her wardrobe, very varied. And I think that is my over that is my overall thought with Maxi, is I think the wide variety of fabrics and I think the wide variety of accessories for her wardrobe. Again, my big final thought is Maxi has one of the most comprehensive wardrobes out of I mean, dolls. She has a t-shirt with a T-Rex on it, and I think that's great. That is great. Well, the thing is, Jem had a bed playset, but Jem never had pajamas. Maxie has pajamas and a bed playset. And when I referred to the problems that existed within the Jem doll line, it wasn't as if any of the products they turned out were bad. It's more of the holes that existed, such as the fact she had a bed but no pajamas. She never really had accessory packs. Uh, she didn't really have budget dolls, and Maxie covered a lot of bases with that with having lots of dolls at different price points, lots of different accessories, lots of separates. Uh, her playsets are all fantastic, and again, her playsets were available at different price points. Not, you know, It wasn't like Gem, where a lot of the playsets had these built-in high-tech electronic functions that really jacked the price point up and made them less accessible. Yeah, I recently got a, uh, a new inbox rock backstage, uh, and um, the speaker still works now, actually. That's really fun. But um, you can tell it's an expensive toy. Um, a really well-designed toy, and I think that that is something which I think the gem playsets have, which the maxi playsets don't, is that gems playsets, they all interconnect with each other, and they all do lots of things. You know, the rock backstager is a carry case, and it's also a wardrobe to store the clothes but it's also a playset that unfolds and you can do stuff in and then it's also an amp for you to plug the car because the car has a radio in it mm-hmm. and to plug the uh the stage playset because the stage playset is a cassette player and you know they both do other things you know the the cars the radio and it's also a storage thing for um accessories and it's also a car and then the the stage playset is a stage that converts to an office and it's also a cassette player and then you can also take everything off it and use it as like a play guitar for the child to like pretend they're playing music on. Um, whereas Maxi's play sets are very, you know, it's it's a, a bed and it stays a bed. It's a bathtub and it stays a bathtub. Uh, but she also has things like the Too Cool Locker, where it is a locker, a shower, a locker room, but it also has like a little vanity table. Oh, I really like that. And it all folds well, that, really neatly. Well, that is another thing that... I think that goes to show like how athletic Maxi is as a brand, that her big flagship playset is a locker room with a shower and the advert shows her lifting weights in it. Well, the uh, the advert, I think it shows, well, at least the image on the packaging for it shows, I think it's Carly lifting weights and Maxi is doing her hair at the vanity part, but then there's like a rack to hold different sporting equipment that it included. There's, like, a bench and a locker and a shower. Yeah. Well, I mean, for a final thought, that kind of detoured back into talking about it. But, yeah. So, my final thought on Maxi is very comprehensive, very well-made, and I think in a lot of ways learn from things that maybe didn't go perfectly with Gem, like the accessories. Because that is one thing I always think with Gem is she doesn't really have any accessories. The second year dolls have earrings for the holograms and I love them. That is just so fantastic. And earrings are a big part of fashion and especially 80s fashion. So Gem not having earrings is kind of a hole in Gem's wardrobe. And she only had one style of necklace that only came with a few fashion sets and only and none of the dolls. 
And then Jem's friends never had bracelets. The Misfits all had bracelets, and Jem's deluxe dolls all had bracelets. But the bracelets weren't a big thing. You know, the fashion sets didn't come with bracelets. You couldn't buy sets of bracelets and shoes by themselves. So even though Jem has lots of outfit pieces... And I think that was also a problem with the Jem doll line, you know, again, not a problem, but a whole left is the fact that Jem doll's feet are so incompatible with every other doll brand, they should have sold more shoes for them. Yeah, they they should have. And the thing is, I do love Jem dolls. I love their size. I love the feet. But, um, and actually, actually, um, this kind of ties back to something you said earlier about Maxie's clothes being very interchangeable. Jem's clothes really weren't very interchangeable. The individual outfits were were very uniquely coloured with very unique prints, and they didn't really mix and match very well. Mm-hmm. And that's also we- a problem that I have with lines like Monster High, where all of the clothing was so character-specific that it looked wrong on any other character. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like you said about 1988 being the year they were fixing a lot of the problems with Jem, and it's sad that it never came to fruition. And I've already mentioned the the gem matching medley fashions. That's something that the designers that did it were actually tasked with thinking of. Hasbro wanted the matching medley pieces to correspond to existing fashion sets to make it more mix and matchable. And that's why each fashion piece was coming in three different colours. And I think that's actually something really interesting about it, is that even though they would have been sold under the gem header and they would have been shown modeled on gem on the packaging a lot of the fashion pieces for the matching medley are really misfits in their color palette and design because they were designed to correspond with fashions designed for the misfits in the two years prior i think it's time to wrap this up but we can agree that max are really well coordinated well designed well thought out doll line and it's sad that she wasn't around longer i would have really liked to see those rock and roll dolls come out Oh my god, those rock and roll dolls. Uh, for anybody not familiar with them, they actually used the gem accessories, ironically. Uh, yeah, I would have loved Maxie to have st- stuck around for a bit longer. And, you know, maybe if she had, she might have got more of a foothold in the industry. Honestly, I, I think Maxie could have been a mainstay. She could have been a contender. <laughs> and, you know, not to spoil what we'll be talking about in a minute, but I think part of the reason Gem is really remembered and Maxie isn't is nothing to do with the dolls. It's the media. It's the media, as we will see. Mm-hmm. Dolls. Mm. Okay, so the other episodes of Maxie's World on offer are Wheelie Bad Dudes, which is the one where the other blonde doll, who as a doll is almost identical to Maxie, and then in the cartoon they kind of differentiated her more by giving her kind of gingery hair. She gets her bike stolen and there's this really terrifying animated sequence of like her running and the camera's like kind of underneath her and they kind of like couldn't foreshorten properly so she's like metal man and like terminator like charging after these people in this like really bizarre like her body's like moving in ways it shouldn't move it's you know i need to stop picking on the animation because like i if you actually put a carly doll next to a maxi doll they do have pretty different hair colors oh do they 
Maxie is blonde, Carly is like a light redhead, and then Ashley is a dark redhead that's more like a reddish brown almost. In the cartoon, they just give her straight up brown hair. Yes. And also that varies between her dolls too, so like her first doll has a lighter hair color than like the doll from the last year of the line. I think it's interesting though that none of the dolls' hair colors kind of match the TV series. Because like Rob's first doll is super blonde and then his next doll is the long brunette and we actually when we were researching we found catalog pictures and the doll with the sculpted hair that ended up with the brown hair is painted with like a light honey blonde so we can kind of see the transition during development for that doll yeah well as we've mentioned have we mentioned this on mic or is it just something we've talked about that we think his original doll release might have used the face sculpt design for Riot. I think that we haven't said that on mic I don't think but that is basically confirmed by other gem people like totally gem has a really great page on that. Yeah but yeah he just he looks like Riot. (laughs) He has a very different look than Ken or Rio. It's very apparent why his head was completely redone for his next doll because he looks much older than Max. He looks 35. He really does. And his body as well. Like his body is a modified Rio body where they kind of chopped him off at the uh, abdomen. So he's really thick. Like he is like a meaty, thick man with a very adult face. <laughs> yeah, he does look like he is 21 jump streeting going to school with Maxi. It, yeah. I mean, I like him. I like him as a doll. He's a handsome doll, you know. Um, yeah, he actually is a pretty good looking male doll. It just, he does not look like a high schooler. So, going back to the Maxi cartoon, not really looking anything like the dolls. Um, like, I know people get complainy about Gem and they're like, well, Shayna's makeup is completely different in the cartoon. And, no, 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 no. and I'm like, Mm, you know, that was because it was in development, things were changing. But, like, in the Maxi cartoon, like, the characters have completely different hair colours. Also, all of the Maxi girls have the same face, which, I guess, if they had model sheets, they maybe wouldn't, but because it looks like it was... Because it looks like it was drawn without really referencing stuff, like, I don't know. And, like, in the opening sequence, which is obviously of a higher quality, they've got these really round faces with button noses and lovely eyes and then the actual animation for the show they have like very thin pointy faces which like i don't know like i would i would probably point to the biggest issue with the cartoon being so off-putting visually is that the animators obviously were treating it like a very cartoony show because the background characters and incidental characters have really cartoony stylized designs and then Maxie and her friends are dull designs existing in this cartoony world, and it's quite jarring. Well, I think it's notable that this is more my opinion, but the opening sequence, the characters look a lot like the Barbie animation for the Barbie and the Rockers movie. So oh, I'm they wondering do. if those were in production maybe simultaneously or around the same time, and if they might have tried to change the art style of the show a little bit to differentiate from the Barbie after the falling out. You know, that that could be it. Look, watching the intro again, actually, with you saying that, that is so completely true. They do have the same 
really like cherubic faces with like round cheeks that the Barbie and the Rockers characters have. Like they look like they could be from the same thing. Yeah, Which we- you can see why Mattel would freak if it looks like Barbie is sharing a universe with Maxie. Well, and that's something where if you look at that shot from the opening where Maxie's posing all windswept with the bouquet of flowers, and just tell me that doesn't look like a late 80s, early 90s Barbie illustration. Well, that that is something which is interesting from the intro sequence is the show doesn't really have an element and the, the doll line never had an element of Maxie being a fashion model. But halfway through the intro sequence, it kind of she's just kind of running around doing fashion poses while photos are taken of her in front of backdrops. And it's, you know, if I was a Mattel executive and I saw this TV show being in production at the company where I was having the Barbie and the Rockers cartoon made, I would freak. I would, I would freak out because it's a really similar concept. Um, like at the crux of things, like obviously Barbie and the Rock is Barbie isn't a teenager, but she's still a beautiful blonde character with a cast of friends, very similar to Maxie. Um, the animation. I'd say that the Maxie dolls are definitely not clones of Barbie. They look very different. They have a very athletic body type, despite being a similar scale and being uh, able to share clothes, but not not most shoes. No, They're Maxie has huge feet. Yeah, their faces and their deco styles really have their own unique look. I would never mistake a Maxi for a Mattel product. They look very different. But these shows, like this animation, looks like Barbie. Well, I think this is going to sound like a really bizarre thing to say, but I feel like the dolls have more personality in them than the animated characters. I would agree with that. Like, when you keep saying that Maxie and Carly look exactly alike, I'm like, no, I've been looking at pictures of these on eBay, and I'm just like, oh, that's a Maxie, that's a Carly. They have different smiles, different hair colors. You know, Carly is the athletic one. Maxie is the generically main character one. <laughs> well, and that's why uh, that's why Carly always comes in, like, workout outfits and stuff. And then well, uh, I- Ashley is clearly a fashion friend character. And she has a face that looks a lot like the Barbie Steffi sculpt, but run through the maxi stylization filter. I like that, yeah. And then there's Kristen slash Simone, who of course is the black friend, but, you know, she has her own... I wouldn't say she has her own definite style, like Carly is definitely the athletic one, but she does have very good outfits still on her designs. Yeah, and then you go to the cartoon, and Aside from Ashley doing kind of incidentally fitness-related things, like there's not really any indication of an actual personality. There's a scene where she's on the phone to the other characters and she's laying on her bed lifting weights in a way that is I'll note that she's not a way any human would lift weights. Uh, well, it's Carly, not Ashley, who's the athletic one. Oh my god. Uh... But yes, Carly is also the one who got her bike stolen. Oh yes, by... Okay, they look like they have just come from like a gay leather rave circa like nineteen ninety two. Like they, oh boy, yeah, those character designs, and I think that's really funny how they were generic thugs in a cartoon about high schoolers. It's also on the beach though, so if they were fully dressed, it would almost be more weird. 
well, they were kind of fully dressed, but they were like dressed in like weird, like ripped, ripped like vests and chains and stuff. I was like, what is happening? Male crop tops. Yeah, I know. Men should wear Loved crop it. tops more. <laughs> um. Okay, I've actually found the Beverly Hills Teens and Maxi crossover, mm-hmm. but it's missing chunks of its audio. So I'm just watching the visuals. <laughs> They've got the same. They've got the same voice actors as the Beverly Hills teens for uh, the characters Bianca and Lark, who are the uh, the blonde messiah of the the Beverly Hills TV series, and um, and her nemesis, who is an evil brunette. And uh, I think they are the only two characters to make an appearance in it. Shall we talk about uh, Jerry a little bit before we jump in and review the episodes? Yes. Well, let's talk about Jerry, but I think we're also going to have to talk about Bianca. Mm, we shall. Bianca, who is uh, a brunette in her TV show, but when she comes to the maxi world, she gets platinum blonde hair to make her not identical to Jerry, because... You can't have two characters with the same hair color. That's just doll logic. But also, Jerry and Bianca are kind of the same character. Yeah, they're very similar, but the main difference is the fact that Bianca, while being a villain, a villainous type, is the protagonist of her show. Oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't explain that, did I? No, you're, you're just dropping stuff on people without explaining the interesting things about Beverly Hills teens. So, ostensibly, the main character is Lark, who is your standard blonde protagonist who's nice to everybody and unfailingly kind but really the show follows the antagonist who is she's like she's like Raquel from Life in the Dreamhouse maybe she really is she is like Raquel and Pizzazz if they were mixed together in that she is really over the top and maniacal but she's also She's not like, I'm going to murder people. She's like, I will ruin their photo shoot and then everybody will have to look at me. Uh, Yeah, she's very much a jealous of the main character's popularity sort of Which character. Which is funny because they are basically the same character. But I also think it's interesting to note that Bianca's signature colours are pink. So she wears light pink and dark pink and then a tiny splash of green to accent her eyes. And Lark's signature colours are white and red. That is really interesting for being a blonde character. Blonde characters are normally put in pastels. Well, her outfit is also... It's very modern. It's it's like a mini skirt and a leather jacket and she's wearing big earrings and she's got like... Bizarrely, she's got kind of driving gloves and go-go boots. And then Bianca's outfit is this quite over-the-top and feminine, like, roughly dressed with big puffy sleeves. And, it, it like, her dress, like, Bianca is wearing what a blonde main character would be wearing in any other TV series. Yeah, she's like, well, yeah, she's Duchess Ravenwaves is what she is. She is. She she is sassy teenage Duchess Ravenwaves, as as we said before. And she is accompanied at all times by her manservant, who is a teenage chauffeur called Wiltshire, who is uh, in love with her, hopelessly. Yes, he puts up with a lot. And interestingly enough, um, she actually has a male counterpart in the form of not Reggie, 
And when you say not Reggie, you mean Reggie from Archie. Yeah. Not Reggie is Pierce Thorndike the third, who is the male counterpart to What a name. <laughs> who is the male counterpart to Bianca in that he too is a brunette, while almost all of the other good guys are blondes. And uh weirdly enough though, he isn't ostracized from the friend group like Bianca is. Because ostensibly and very strangely, the characters are all friends on the show, even though two of them are continuously villainous. But yeah, Pierce isn't... Again, see, we're talking about Beverly Hills Teens and not Maxie's World. And I think that's just because what Beverly Hills Teens is the superior show. Well, I actually haven't watched much of it. I've mostly just listened to you talk about it. But we do have to set up some information about this show in order to address the later conspiracy theory we have. Oh, yes, we do. We do need to set this up. Also, so This was all... Uh, going into talking about Jerry, though. Yeah, so Jerry is a cartoon original character for Maxie, who is an antagonist. She's still drawn in the pretty sort of face template of the main characters, but she's got a kind of a maroony brown hair. And it kind of varies depending on the episode. Sometimes she's nice, sometimes she's mean. She's kind of a frenemy character to Maxie. Yes, and the reason we wanted to bring this up is the uh, the last year of Maxi Dolls was the cancelled line that was in some catalogs, but not actually, it never actually reached the market, was a line of rock and roll Maxi Dolls that actually reused the gem instrument sculpts and had all the characters, seemingly minus Simone, in versions of their outfits with like fun highlights in their hair and there's a new brunette cat character character added to the lineup named Bianca named Bianca who looks like Jerry's color palette from the cartoon but named Bianca and this goes back to our long-standing theory that Hasbro may have been in talks with Deke to make Beverly Hills Teens dolls because this would have been around the time that was all happening and Hasbro owning the trademark for the name Bianca in the fashion doll category really makes me think something must have been happening because that seems like more than a coincidence to me. Well, Bianca is a much more marketable as a fashion doll name than I think than Jerry. It's a very glamorous name. Yeah, I think Jerry's a very cute name, but it's very short and yeah, less glamorous for a fashion doll and less trademarkable yes and less trademarkable and so probably i'm guessing that these two characters were sort of combined for the doll line yeah well i'm shaking my head in shame that we had stephanie askander on the show and we didn't ask her about beverly hills teens okay but we talked to her for like three hours and didn't even get through the 90s of her career so you're right I think when somebody has worked on so much, there's so much to talk about. And it was, I was just like entranced listening to her stories because I was so interested by them. I, I was, I, I, my list of things I wanted to ask her about just went completely out the window. Yeah, for me, I'm just like, I, I need to hear about the llama. Please just tell me about the llama. I love the llama. I want the llama. I desire it. 
And the reason it's so expensive, which we didn't even mention on air, is that it ended up being a My Little Pony mail-in offer. So My Little Pony collectors want it as well. Yes. Well, we did mention it was a mail-in offer. We didn't mention it was related to My Little Pony. Because she did talk about her disappointment that she didn't get to see it on shelves. Oh, I would have been so disappointed if I'd created something that cool. That was one of her first produced products. I feel like we've gone back and forth so much on this episode already. And listeners, I'm really sorry. Like, I feel like if there was more meat on the bone of Maxie's world, or maybe if we were more competent podcast hosts, we would have gotten into this already. We would have had more structure. Please keep listening. Please, please. We've had such an amazing response to episode one. You know, you guys on social media have been so nice to us really have it's been great it's a little bit daunting having gotten such so much good feedback on our first episode right from the get-go i know and it was really exciting it made me want to just tape straight away i was like oh they like me they really like me they like stephanie let's not flatter ourselves (laughs) yeah i know which again it was so nice of her to give us give us that boost you know Mm -hmm. that little media blitz we had for episode one um like the day before it went out with stephanie uh mentioning us on her instagram and john mentioning us you know it it was really good and then all those great people gave us shout outs on their stories yeah so just thank you everyone for helping us have such a successful launch for this yeah and we want to make this podcast as good as it possibly can be and we really want to keep it going and i know it has been a tiny bit rough at the start we had the the audio issues which again is because i have a very loud voice and so uh, the... he has a better microphone too so it probably picks things up at a higher volume than so mine. it's like it's like two problems compounding each other and um <laughs> i sent john the mp3 for the episode before i uploaded it and he was like joe you need to tone your voice down it is like blow your ears out loud and then everybody else's normal volume and i was like oh okay so i tried to apply um an equalization to my vocal track and i applied it to the whole mp3 which was why some of the parts of the episode were so quiet. I have I have fixed that now. I've replaced the file on our RSS feed with a more evened out, better to hear version. Whether or not that's filtered through to some of the third party platforms that the RSS feed uploads to, I'm not sure. I think you might want to double check that on Spotify because I went to check it this morning and it was still kind of on the quiet side. Oh, that drives me bonkers, because as far as I knew, that had been updated, because I played Spotify on my computer, and it was still really, it was really loud, and I was like, oh, great. It sounds uh, evened out, but on my phone, I had to turn it up to my max volume to really hear it very well. Mm, I think this might be a problem that my speakers are louder than average, and me thinking it is a normal volume may actually just be quiet for everybody so when i edit this episode again listeners i am a designer i'm not an audio engineer please please bear with me it was a baptism of fire yeah 
Also, when I mentioned I wanted to talk about other teen dolls, um, I kind of want to talk about Jazzy, and I'm not sure if we should talk about Jazzy with Maxie or just give her her own focus sometime. Well, why don't we do a Jazzy mini-episode? I do think Maxie and Jazzy have some shared DNA there, definitely. Well, I think Maxie and Jazzy are closer to each other than Jem and Barbie and the Rockers are. Yeah, honestly, also with like the cast lineup and some of the paint style. Also, Jazzy uses some of my favorite doll sculpts, so... Gotta yeah, talk Jazzy also that. has a completely hideous friend whose uh, lips are printed on her teeth and her lips are left completely unpainted. <laughs> okay, it's not quite as bad as that, but uh, her lips are painted really weirdly onto the sculpt, so it's not the most flattering. And we'll probably... Well, we'll probably want to talk about the line that originated those sculpts alongside Jazzy. Yeah, so we will make a little mini-episode about Jazzy. We'll have to talk about Jazzy and her predecessor. Cryptic. Okay, so we are we are an hour and a half into recording. Um, so let's watch these godforsaken episodes of Maxie's World. So we've barely talked about the dolls. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like, Jem, they wear doll outfits in the cartoon. And you can go, oh, look, um, Kimber's wearing permanent wave. Oh, look, Aja's wearing only the beginning. And then you watch Maxie and they're wearing, like, weird generic outfits. And you're like, that... And there's things like the fact that uh, Simone was wearing Maxie's cheerleader outfit. It's, it's and so weird. the outfits that did show up in the show weren't necessarily on the right characters. Well, uh, maybe now's a good time to talk about the Maxie's, about the Maxie fashions then, because we haven't really spoken about the doll. And I think Maxie's strong point really was her fashions. Her fashions are fantastic quality they're gorgeous and they may not be ever they may not be to everybody's tastes nowadays but i love them they're very high quality and even if you don't necessarily like how the separates are combined in their very garish 80s colors they're really good quality separates they're gorgeous and well, actually a lot of the line didn't market outfits the way a lot of other fashion doll lines do is separates and accessory packs was a much larger part of the maxi doll line again something really unique about maxi is it wasn't like i'll oh, buy maxi's date night outfit it was you can buy this skirt for maxi in three different colors you can buy this accessory set for maxi in three different color variants you can buy packs of belts and shoes and earrings and all of those things come separately in little accessory packs, which is something a lot of doll lines just don't have anymore. No, and I love it. It was so exciting that you really build a really quality wardrobe for Maxi from the ground up and everything would coordinate with each other. So one of the colour options for a skirt, for example, would be a denim skirt trimmed in pink and white, and another one would be trimmed in, like, red and white. And the pink and white one would be designed to coordinate with things that the dolls came with initially, like Maxie's signature doll came with white lace tights and white boots, which look fantastic with that skirt. Mm-hmm. Also, cosmetics. Doll cosmetics to give Maxie painted nails and change her makeup. That is so cool to me. 
it's a very fun idea. Like part of my my practical vintage collector brain goes, oh no, don't put things on the vinyl and then leave it on there for 30 years. It'll make the plastic break down. But as a kid, that would have been so fun. Yeah, like if I'd grown up with maxi dolls, I would have had so much fun. And also maxi has gorgeous hair. Like I know I've gone on record um, on, I haven't, God, I know I, I haven't gone on, I know I haven't gone on record on the podcast saying this yet but typically i prefer nylon hair to saran and i know some people think i'm crazy for that but i always think nylon has much funner colors and it also holds curls so much better and i like curly hair well and nylon is just so tough so i have positive feelings towards it because as a vintage collector when I find something with a more nylon tough hair I'm like yes this is so easy to clean and fix up and other doll lines it's like so soft and fine but it like gets tangled and matted and it's like oh I have to I have to clean and straighten this now yeah well like if you get a stormer doll and presuming she isn't and and presuming she isn't completely totaled you can like put conditioner in her hair and comb it through to separate all the curls out with lukewarm water and then leave it to dry and it will return to its original really tight curls you don't need to like reset it or something like you would if it was a saran hairstyle which would have been completely destroyed mhm so it does have its pros and its cons but its pros are really nice for people like us that yeah. That like that hair just being tough and colorful. Oh, and actually, before we move on as well, I know I said Maxi had really big feet, and she does have larger than Barbie feet, but they're not big in the way Jem's feet are. Maxi's feet are fantastic. They look so natural. They do, and they look great with her body sculpt, because her body sculpt is pretty detailed and she actually has like sculpted musculature on her arms that's kind of why i call her build very athletic is that she she is a thin fashion doll with that 1980s hourglass shape to her but at the same time she just looks like a very healthy teen girl like she's thin yeah. but she has muscles on her at the same time which is very well, interesting for an older fashion doll I feel like I wouldn't even call her thin. I would call her slender or slim because she isn't really thin in the way that a lot of post-millennium fashion stuff is. Like, she has really nice, shapely legs. She's really proportionate. Her head isn't huge. And she's got lovely hands. Other vintage collectors, I'd actually say her body sculpt reminds me of older ideal dolls. Oh yeah, good comparison. Right at home next to body sculpts on things like Chrissy, Harmony, you know, the Tammy family. Like she would probably she looks like a slightly more Barbie scaled body sculpt version of maybe something like Misty almost. Yeah, like it has, I can see that. It has that realistic detailing that that eighties Barbies just didn't have. Oh, and one thing I love about Maxi, speaking of things that Barbie didn't have, is Maxi can wear flats or heels, and both of them look completely, completely natural. Yes, her feet are sculpted 
actually at such a natural slight angle to them that when she wears heels, you know, they are low heels, but they look like heels. But even if she's barefoot, she doesn't look like she's standing on her toes. No, it's great. And speaking of toes, her toes are really detailed. It's crazy to think that she was hand sculpted. But not like uh, MC squared doll toes being detailed. Mm, no. But let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll edit this bit out, but something I was really shocked about when I got my first Maxi doll is that her arms can't rotate out. They just go up and down like a original Barbie. That's because you have the budget one. Oh. You have, um, yeah, like my cheerleader Maxi, the one that is sitting on my desk with me right now, uh, her arms and legs both swing out to the side as well. Oh, okay, then, yeah, I, I want to get some more Maxi dolls. I hope we don't boost the price yeah. up too much. Anyway, um, was, uh the budget line from the first year. Okay, so we just watched um, an episode... Actually, two episodes, but we well, watched... One 20-minute block containing two, in quotation marks, episodes. It was uh, To Be or Not To Be Ferdy and A Day in the Life of Rob. Which, again, these were both episodes where uh, basically Maxie gets almost no spoken lines and her friends certainly get even less than she does when they even appear and it is entirely about the boys both of these which both of them do have the name of a male character in the episode title so we shouldn't be surprised but it's still weird that so much of a doll tv show is like about the guy characters and it's hardly marketing the girls. But even then, only one of the episodes was about a dull guy. The other was about a cartoon or original character who, FYI, that episode about Ferdy was really misogynistic. It was also, weirdly enough, like, the main female character of the episode was probably Jerry, who was notably not a doll character. So it's mostly about Ferdy and Jerry. Yeah, and Ferdy desperately trying to win Jerry over, doing weird things. Jerry not being interested because she already has a date. And then the TV show acting like Jerry was evil for already having a date and not going out with this disgusting creature. Well, the point is, is it's a Sadie Hawkins dance at their high school, and he's trying to get Jerry to ask him to the dance. She already has a date for the dance and doesn't want to ask him to the dance. In the end, uh, Maxie goes with her boyfriend, of course, but her boyfriend is, like, helping run the event. And so she's like, yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll dance with you, disgusting friend. And then she mocks Jerry for not having gone to the dance with him. It's well, like, Maxie, you also didn't want to go to the dance with him. Yeah, but the, the, the really weird thing is, Jerry never says anything explicitly mean to him. She just says no and then laughs at him when he makes a fool of himself in front of everybody. Maxie and her friends have a completely separate scene where they make fun of him. 
when he's not there. And Jerry sees them doing that and is like, oh, well, I guess you are friends with him. And then they're like, oh, we hate you, Jerry, for unexplained reasons. And then Jerry's boyfriend and Jerry just walk off. Well, her date anyway. I'm not sure if that's a reoccurring character or if that was just her date for the dance in that episode. To be fair, his character design was basically Maxie's boyfriend in a wig. Uh, yeah, but this is also like... The main cast is a same face except the two <laughs> Mushroom and Ferdy. All the extras are very diverse in their character designs, which is kind of weird. They all have very different noses and face shapes, and it's weird that the background characters have more diversity than the main cast does. But, like, it's a really cartoony kind of diversity, because the show is really cartoony. I honestly don't remember if we've already said this, but, oh my god, the character designs for the main characters are dull characters, so they're quite realistic. And the world they live in is Looney Tunes. Like, cars are jumping up on their hind legs and making cartoony spluttering noises. Characters are making, like, whoop, 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 whoop sounds when they start running. Yeah, there's a shaking the building sound effect for walking in platform boots. It's bizarre. And also, mm, there's not any time for kind of a plot. So you just kind of have like a series of like skits and then an end, which kind of ties into what happened. Because when you go to the Rob episode, you get more crazy sound effects. And then the episode, the episode is about Rob doing too much stuff. He overexerts himself by every time someone needs help with something. He says, yeah, I can do it. So he commits to too many things and then wears himself out. But it's, it, I don't know, it's just treated really weirdly. Like, he, like, faints in, like, a really cartoony manner. And, like, nobody calls an ambulance. He just, like, wakes up in, like, a... Well, on the <laughs> natural conclusion of Rob overexerting himself... Like, it isn't like he passes out and that's the main conclusion of the episode. No, it's a toddler collapsing a tent on everyone in the school. Oh, yeah, because earlier in the episode... Also, I like, I can't... It, like, it was so incomprehensible, I feel like it has melted my brain. And I can't... I can't... I can't communicate how incoherent and jumbled what he was doing was like he would go from a, a scene to scene like doing different things for people but there'd be nothing really connecting it or they would try and make something connect it and it wouldn't make sense like he runs out of the school and there's like a woman outside the school who he apparently knows and he's like mrs whatever her name was maloney, maloney. mrs maloney mrs maloney and i thought she was his teacher maybe because she was directly outside the school but then in the next animation like background of that scene they're not outside the school anymore like they just forgot they were animating the school and then she gives him a lift to a hardware store but the and then it, the, uh, but it makes like none of it makes any sense and like, like i have i feel like i have to say that these this episode these two episodes within it had much better animation than we'd already seen much better but even then you got a scene when Maxie was in a car driving along and the inside of her hoop earring hadn't been coloured in and was showing the background of the outside of the car, like, moving around on her neck. 
Yeah, you could see through her neck and hair to the background whizzing by behind them while they drove. It it was very odd looking. Oh, and in the last it's episode... Also notable, it's also notable that the character Simone shows up in one scene in either of these episodes, driving the car Maxie and Rob ride in, and doesn't say a single word aside from laughing along with Maxie at a joke. In unison, I genuinely thought she was going to get a line because there's a there's a there's a point when the camera pans across her face and there's nothing. There's not an expression. There's not a line. There's but yeah. the only other time she appears is when she appears in unison with Ashley and the other one, Carly, the one you Carly. keep forgetting her name. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm terrible. Well, like, oh, it's because. All of the names follow the Maxi naming convention, except Simone, because she had a name change. So they all have an E sound. Oh, Kristen from his... Max... also didn't. Oh, it didn't, did it? No. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, that's... That's funny. Kristen and Simone both don't match up with the other characters. Also, Rob doesn't, but... No, but Jerry does, and she's a bloody cartoon original character. Yeah, with the best mullet. She has a very good cartoon mullet. Yeah, also... like an anime character who's been out in the rain. Her hair does look continuously wet, and it's quite funny. She also has a, a much nicer, nicer outfit than Maxie. Her outfit is like all black and pink and like lime green. She's like a Disney sitcom antagonist. Yeah, I don't... Honestly, like she had more character in her first scene she appeared in in this episode than Maxie got in like either episode we watched I feel like that is the kind of shocking thing about Maxie is my god she has no personality and the voice acting is horrific like the voice acting for Carly and Jerry is good and the voice acting for Maxie is almost painful to listen to and everything is delivered really flatly and it's just bizarre and also Matt also narrates the episodes at points and her narration is just also really flat and emotionless yeah like I, I guess it's called Maxie's world and maybe like maybe the people behind it were like oh if she's narrating it it's okay it's because she's Maxie's narrating the story and we're just doll collectors in it yeah I think Barbie might have something to say about that. Maxie is just the Rod Serling of the show. She just, like, slightly appears at the end to tell you what the point of the episode was. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Like, it is so weird. It doesn't feel like a cartoon made for girls, and it definitely doesn't feel like a cartoon made to sell toys to girls. No, Maxie is just the god of the universe that she lives in and she created all of these people to exist around her and act out stories for her amusement not even like because that would imply maxi had any kind of personality or agency maxi is a mannequin being moved from scene to scene while she... bulk and skull from the power rangers get up to hijinks yeah like honestly i love maxi doll so much and i feel like maxi as a doll seems like she has a lot of personality and energy to her, but she just doesn't in her own show. Yeah, well, like, 
Maxie as a doll, like her outfits, her artwork, the doll sculpting, the back of the box descriptions, the kind of storylines for the dolls, it all is like Maxie is an athletic high schooler who lives near a beach and she has this kind of like vivacious life of activity where she's she's doing sports, she's swimming. And like I think that is something notable about the maxi swimming dolls is they're not maxi in a cute bikini like again i'm not hating on barbie i love barbie like sun jewel barbie glitter beach barbie they're all barbie in a a sparkly bikini like looking pretty maxi's swimsuits are like sports swimsuits with numbers on them and they come with like a pair of goggles for her to wear on like a hair tie like maxi's swimsuits are sporty like she is a sporty character and in the cartoon she's like a potato I do think um, Maxie's last year, uh, she had a swimsuit line that did look a little bit more on the Barbie side of things, but yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, if I was a a nine-year-old girl in 1987, I would not have watched this. If this came on TV, I probably would have changed channel. Yeah, it does definitely talk down to its audience. Which is really a shame because Maxi is a fantastic toy. I really wouldn't be surprised if the cartoon had actually hampered doll sales. Because if I'd seen that on TV, I would not have let my child have the dolls. Because the cartoon is super hateful towards women and has stuff like cigarettes and anorexia in it. Yeah, the show really does, like, you know, maybe it is just that we've happened to watch every episode that focused on the boys on accident somehow but it is entirely about the male characters and then when the girls appear most of the time they aren't even appearing in outfits related to the doll line so i'm like why they're all all like weird generic outfits yeah how is this marketing dolls none of the doll outfits really appear aside from like the cheerleader outfits on the cheerleaders yeah, they're not wearing the separates, they're not wearing the swimsuits. Even in the intro, Maxie has like a weird cartoon original pink swimsuit. Yeah, I would note that it's interesting because the cartoon seems to keep Maxie out of the colored pink. Like it's trying to move away from having Maxie wear pink. But then in the doll line, Maxie is like pink, 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 pink. Well, Jerry wears pink in the TV show, which I think is interesting. <laughs> She's the birding Maxwell. <laughs> that that's why Birdie and Maxwell doesn't want anybody to see her yearbook photograph is because she had a brown mullet in the eighties. <laughs> she doesn't want people to know she's not a natural blonde. No. Well the the not to get onto the Bratz cartoon, which is superior to the Maxi cartoon in every way. But um it is brought up that Birdie's hair is not naturally blonde multiple times, and that's why it's animated as like a sickly yellow colour while Chloe's natural blonde hair is animated as like a pale buttery blonde. <laughs> um oh god, I like there's not like this is hard because I didn't want to come into this and be like us making fun of the Maxi cartoon because we both love the Maxi dolls. I want to like it so bad, but there just isn't enough here to like. And what there is is bad. Well, and you know what we both like about this? We both like the intro. The intro's real good. Haim Saban and Shuki Levy, like, they they are masters of the synthesizer. <laughs> they 
they can just pump out an amazing song. And I love the animation in the intro. I feel like the intro gets the spirit of Maxie as a character. You know, like the lyrics are singing about how Maxie's a really special friend. Like a friend like her is really hard to come by. She lives by the beach. She's, you know, she's friendly. Have she's fun. nice. She she's serves. having fun. She goes to a sunny high school. And then the show is, the show is like, is is Maxie being an incidental character or she's a prize to these gross boys trying to impress another girl or she's kind of narrating a weird judgmental moral story where she's like my boyfriend made promises he couldn't keep don't make promises you can't keep kids the thing is Jem had the you're a superstar segments and the episode had that song, so it has this whole song sequence about, like, we had a date and you didn't show up to pick me up and my feelings were hurt, but it's because you made too many promises to too many people. And so it's, like, this very judgmental thing about the fact that Rob has, like, volunteered for all the responsibilities. And then Maxie in the actual end of the episode is, like, you shouldn't say yes to everything people ask of you. And, uh... You know, as a friend, you need to think before you ask your friends to do favors for you and think about what's already on their workload. And it's like, yes, this is a good moral that wasn't really well reflected in the rest of the episode. You know, a thought has just occurred to me. Hmm. If it's half the length of a normal animated series for syndication and the episodes are all two episodes in one, what what do you think the chances are that it was originally supposed to be 65 episodes and they had ideas for the 65 episodes and then instead of cutting them and just making like 30 episodes they smushed the episodes together and just had like weird cut down versions of them i don't know i mean it, it's possible but we would probably need to talk to someone from deke in the 80s okay the only piece of evidence i would potentially point to to support my theory on why they would have condensed them into two 10 minute episodes instead of just cutting them is maybe they had the songs produced already because the songs we've heard so far don't really match the episodes they're in like you said the song is about rob not picking maxi up for a day and it max and maxi's feelings being hurt nothing like that happens in the episode if it was a 20 minute episode maybe the ultimate resolution of of rob being tired would have been not picking maxi up for a day and that's where the song would have come in because like I said, the well, episodes... Jem, Jem had lots of music recorded ahead of time that then got worked into episodes, but that's... But Maxie didn't come with, like, cassette tapes, so where does the music... Where does these song segments come into the equation? Probably that Jem had songs, so Maxie, they just thought, let's let's put songs in Maxie, too. Um, like and Zippo did it, we can do it, too, but then they didn't realize that, like, Hasbro had an entire music team... <laughs> Yeah, the the Maxi song was was bad. It was r real bad, and the music video was just clips I didn't, from the last I didn't. ten minutes we'd already seen playing on the loop. The video wasn't bad. I didn't mind the song. It was not as bad as I expected it to be when I saw that there was a musical segment starting. I was like, oh no! But then it wasn't as bad as I thought. I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel like we've been really hateful. But the more I've watched it, the more I've realized is. I think the cartoon is why Maxi is not well remembered. I think, like I said, the dolls, incredible. The dolls are legitimately one of my favourite dolls. And then the cartoon is just like this hateful 
boys cartoon, which has like a girl occasionally appearing in it. Well, and I think the other reason it's not as iconic and well-remembered, frankly, is it's a little bit of a problem with diversity, too. Like, a lot of people who fondly remember Jim, they're like, oh, it's the first, like, time I saw an Asian character in a cartoon, or oh, it's the first time I saw a character like Shayna in a cartoon. That's... You can't really say that about Simone. Simone doesn't even say anything in these episodes. Yeah, and... And there isn't there isn't an Aja in this cast. And there's definitely not a Raya. Yeah, there's... So I think that it also isn't going to be making any marks with its uh, progressivism either. No. Well, I feel like maybe if Maxi had come out like 10 years later, that would, would have been an episode where somebody was gay. And, <laughs> and the episode would be called like... Rainbow Bash or something, and there's like a gay bashing in Maxie's town, and and in the ten minutes they manage to somehow resolve it, and then they have a song where like Maxie befriends the uh the gay kid, and then you never uh, see them ever again. Yeah, it would be like, oh, sorry, it just just made me watch that '70s show with her, and there was a very special gay episode. Oh no! And I think it would be like that. <laughs> I've never actually watched that 70s show, but I have been forced to experience it through cultural osmosis on social media. In this episode, the uh, the main dude character starts hanging out with this kid who has a really cool car, and at first they become friends because he's just really into this kid's car, and they just like start hanging out all the time. But then uh, it turns out that this kid is gay and had sort of thought that there was a mutual interest happening and that's why they were hanging out so much one-on-one time. And oh, no. there's sort of some awkward misunderstanding. And in the end, uh, you know, they all come to terms with, like, it's okay to be gay, but at the same time, it's more about his feelings as a straight man who had a gay man be interested in him. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's like, I feel like if Maxie had a very special gay episode, it would be something like that, that was like, (sighs) trying to broach the, it's okay to be gay, but then like, still make it about the straight character's feelings. Oh my gosh, it would be like, Ferdy accidentally has a guy into him or something, it would. Oh no... (laughs) Oh no, it would, wouldn't it? it would. And then, and then, um, and then Maxie's like, "Ferdy, some people are gay," because Maxie is apparently these men's mother, and not in like the fun way. Jem is the star that girl's mother. No, she'd just odd surling it and step out of the shadows and be like, "Ferdy learned an important lesson about homosexuals today." Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I hope we don't get like flagged for this on YouTube. <laughs> We've said a naughty word. I said, I said the homosexual word. I'm gonna have to bleep that, <laughs> and then YouTube's yeah, algorithm, <laughs> YouTube's algorithm won't uh, stab us. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe if you say it with a British accent, it won't be able to understand you with the computer. Like the computer <laughs> won't flag you. <laughs> yeah, the 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 YouTube al- algorithm won't cut our breaks. Um, oh my god. Well, I feel like. We need to watch at least one more episode of Maxi to see if we can find an episode that isn't about the boys. Because we've watched we've watched four episodes now and 
all of them were about the boys. They they were, yeah. The camping episode was about boys. The Haunted House episode was about boys. The Sadie Hawkins episode was about boys. And that weird kind of carnival, kind of football episode was about boys. Rob overexerts himself. So the other episodes we've got to pick from are Two Guys for Every Girl and Friend or UFO or Goodbye Ghoul World Two guys for every girl sounds like what this show just has been. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that one's off our list. I know from watching a tiny bit when I was looking for the smoking episode that friend or UFO is Jerry having the Balkan Skull characters do her bidding by flirting with them to ruin some kind of observatory thing Maxie was doing by flying a toy spaceship on a fishing wire in front of the telescope and convince everybody aliens were invading. So <laughs> That's so dumb. Yeah, well, also, um, Mushroom, who I think we've already said is like a hulking, beefy, eight-foot man-child who is like completely beholden to what Maxie says, because <laughs> Maxie's like his mother. Um, at one point in the episode, I'm not sure how it happens, but he gets stuck in an alien costume and Jerry like dumps him in the middle of town to like terrorize people. And he is like begging people to unzip the costume, but people are running away from him in terror screaming. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, and then and then Maxie like unmasks him and is like, "Oh my god, you're okay!" And like he may as well be like, "Mommy, save me!" Um, so weird, so weird. Um, okay, so shall we watch the Jerry and Ferdy show? This is like Jerry has more personality in her mullet than Maxie has in her entire body. <laughs> her mullet does have a lot of personality. I love it. Well, it looks kind of bedraggled, like they simultaneously wanted her to be, like, the cool, mean, popular girl and also be, like, gross. <laughs> like, her hair looks wet. Well, yeah, as I said, she looks like an anime character that's been out in the rain. Her it hair looks me... wet. Okay, another dollar in the gem jar, but it reminds me of that scene where Shayna and Roxy go into the Venice Canal. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> hair like clinging to them that scene in gem had more female dialogue than an entire episode of maxi yeah honestly okay so i guess we'll watch okay i think goodbye ghoul world and surfside over the rainbow will hopefully be a maxi heavy episode if it's about maxi getting a concussion you know i can't help but feel like so much of my disappointment in this show is just the fact that it's about the guys. Because if we got these really dumb plots, but like replaced Ferdy with Ashley and uh, Mushroom with Carly, I would, I would love it because it would just be two dumb girls getting into dumb shenanigans, and then their smart friend comes along and cleans up their mess at the end. And I just, yeah. I would love that. That would be fun. That would be fun. And it's like none of these girls have personality, even though it's ostensibly supposed to be about them. Yeah, well, also, on the topic of personality, Ashley is kind of on the same level of antagonistic as Jerry is, which I find really strange. Like, you'll get a scene where they'll be talking, and Maxie will say something kind of bland and sensible, and then Carly will say something sporty, and then... And then it gets to Ashley and she'll say something like really vain or really selfish. And then like 
she has this really bizarre voice. That's a little bit like this. And it, you're sitting there like, am I am I supposed to want to buy the toy of her? Because I don't. I think of the main cast, I do enjoy her more than Carly and Maxie because she's a very dramatic character and that is her entire personality is that she is the diva. Well, I guess maybe the showrunners only knew how to give her personality if they also made her kind of hateful at the same time. Also, the Halloween episode, she does uh, get into character playing a vampire by... Ah, like going for a dude's foot, and it's very weird. It's not just a dude's foot, it's 30's foot. <laughs> Which is even weirder. Yeah, well, thir- like, I can't communicate, like, how disgusting 30 is, like, drawn, because it's not just his character design. Like, the way they animate him, he is always, like, kind of hunching over and stooping, and he's got, like, a shuffly walk, and his voice is really grating... And all his dialogue is him being, like, sexist. Well, that's one of those things where it's like, he's the worst version of Tekrat. Like, Tekrat is weird, but in a way that a lot of people love, and then Ferdy has a lot of the same elements, but combined in the worst way, with, like, some sexism added. Tekrat hates everyone equally. (laughs) He's an egalitarian. Yeah, well, Tekrat's like, Tek Tekrat is antisocial, like Gary Oldman in The Fifth Element. He's also really sexy, and then Ferdy is like chasing after girls who are trying to be friendly to him, and then he's like yelling at his friend that the girls don't like him back, like he likes them, and doing weird. Also, like sexually harassed Carly in that one episode. That was uncomfortable. Oh, that was weird. Oh, that was really weird. That was real creepy. But also, going back to like the the sort of misogyny in a lot of the episodes, it is bizarre how 1950s the world they live in is. Because the music they listen to when they go to the dance is full-on 1950s. They go to a diner and Mushroom is reading a comic which straight up has like a 1960s Charles Atlas like male weight gain ad in it to like help men bulk up which Ferdy sees and like freaks out about because he wants to try and get more muscly like that none of this stuff was happening in 1987 this isn't an incidental scene either like the little dude comes out of the page of the comic book and yells at him and hits him with a grey french fry (laughs) yeah all of the french fries were coloured in grey and they looked really off-putting it was like food made of asbestos (laughs) yeah and then also the suits at the dance at the school's dance like all of the girls were wearing like leggings and like a top and then the boys were all wearing like baggy zoot suits with like huge bow ties and i was like did these animators know what they were animating are like how old were the animators Whoever was doing the model sheets, I, I, I don't like. Obviously, the fifties were trendy in the eighties because you got things like Barbie and the Sensations, where it's explicitly nineteen fifties. Mm-hmm. But like Maxi feels like it's trying to be really modern, and and it's not so much it's intentionally invoking the fifties. It's just that the writers didn't understand that's not what teenagers like anymore. I know I mentioned that at least according to IMDb, the guy who did the character designing for this series. He worked in the industry after this, but not in character design. 
I wonder why. Yeah, uh, it makes you wonder. Yeah, I think, well, again, I think us doing this episode about it, and even though we haven't spoken about it much, is probably the most attention it's gotten on the internet ever. Like, I'm shocked it even has an IMD page. Well, seeing as this uh, hateful review on the IMDb page is from the year 2000. Oh, I wonder what else is... There's one piece of trivia on the IMDb page and it says this series was originally pitched as a Barbie and the Rockers TV series. I think they must have got their wires crossed. I Yeah, I do think that there must be something about the development of the Barbie cartoon and the Maxi cartoon. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's the same time, it's the same company, and obviously Mattel would freak. Can you imagine... Uh, this show, but with Barbie instead of Maxie, so Barbie just is barely in it, and it's about these two terrible men, and then just, like, Barbie comes out and teaches them a lesson every time. Teresa gets addicted to cigarettes, and Christy never gets to speak. Oh, God. Um, okay, that's... <laughs> I I wanted to like this, and I know it's beating a dead horse, but let's let's go back in, let's watch this episode, which will hopefully be about the girls, you know? I mean, it looks like the first part of this episode is going to be a blatant rip-off of the real Ghostbusters cartoon, but, you know, it's worth a shot. I mean, Maxie over the rainbow, come on, it, it, like, I'm sure her friends will be the Tin Man and the Scarecrow, unless we get 30 and Mushroom being the Tin Man and the Scarecrow, you know? Which, 50-50, mm-hmm. I do not know which way it will go. Okay, who do you think will be the uh, Dorothy's cohorts in Maxie's uh, fantasy? Will it be her friends or will it be the boys? Oh, um, I definitely think, I think Mushroom, if they put any thought into this, Mushroom's going to be the Scarecrow because of course he wants a brain. Ferdy will be the Cowardly Lion. Yeah, and that leaves like Rob or something to be the Tin Woodman. Yeah. I wonder if Jerry will be the Wicked Witch or, God forbid, Ashley. <laughs> I'm betting if there's a Wicked Witch that is one of the cast members, it will probably be Jerry. Oh, good point. I mean, it, she has a personality. The writers know what to do with her. Yeah, well, good point about it being a cast member because given the quality of this show, that is a reasonably high likelihood it will just be a generic witch character. Yeah. Well, we'll have. They did do that weird history episode where everyone appeared as historical figures. I feel like we should watch that, but also the fact it is a parody of Bill and Ted, (laughs) and we know that Mushroom and Ferdy's names are in the title, means I really don't want to watch it because I don't want to be exposed to Mushroom and Ferdy any more than I have to be. We can watch it some other time. What, and like collapse to the floor foaming at the mouth we'll just have to join like the sailor business family of podcasts and do uh maxi's world business oh my god we sh- we'll write them a business proposal <laughs> pitch hey uh we want to join your podcast network and just do maxi's world it will be a very short series yeah there's only 30 episodes and uh there's no plot content <laughs> and the characters are made of cardboard. Yeah. Oh, okay. Same okay, voice we'll... actors, though. <laughs> Same voice actors. That's how we should pitch it. Be like, this is related to Sailor Moon. Let's dive back in. 
and see if we can maybe get 10 minutes without Bulk and Skull telling us about how Maxie is friend zoning them. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry's friend zoning them. was an interesting noise um that was an interesting episode both of them (laughs) well maybe we were right and we did just somehow win the crap episode lottery with our random selections though i will say that for ferdy and mushroom a being terrible and b not toys in the toy line that were worth marketing Why did they get so many spotlights? That's like if you did more spotlights about, like, Howard Sands than video. Or, like, Heath had, like, seven episodes promoting him in Monster High, and Abby showed up once. And Claude said something once. (laughs) Yeah, well, this... This... Okay. I have a feeling that this episode might be the exception to the rule and not the other way around. Because immediately the first half of the episode, the one about the ghosts, Ferdy and Mushroom aren't in it. And all of the girls get dialogue. I know, it was amazing. Like, Simone had, like, some inkling of a personality almost. Carly wasn't really in it, but it was like, wow, Simone and Ashley are talking to each other. This passes the Bechdel test, finally. Oh my god, yeah. And and Rob hanging out with the girls made him an instantly more likable character because he wasn't being drawn down to the misogynistic level of Ferdy and Mushroom and instead he was talking to the girls and being friends with them. Although on Rob, I do have one note and it is a note on the models they, that they're drawing from is Rob is constantly drawn like he is fat. Like, I, I think it must have been the animators misinterpreting like uh, uh, the baggy clothes or something. It does look like he has a dad bod and you know that's not in a dad bod shaming way. It's just kind of a weird off model thing. Yeah. The, 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 it is the it's the third or fourth time in out of like five or six episodes I've watched where he spends a good portion of the episode drawn like he just is like a jock gone to seed with a gargantuan beer gut and it is it is really jarring because he's supposed to be like this hyper athletic high schooler and then he's drawn like he's max's dad it is yeah it is just there's a lot of off model things in this show anyway let's go over the two episodes we just watched so we watched um one that was the Ghostbusters, but not the Ghostbusters. And then we watched one that was The Wizard of Oz, but not The Wizard of Oz. Okay, well, the Ghostbusters one, I had a kind of a realisation, because we actually got to spend a lot of time with Maxie, that I really hate her hair. <laughs> the way they draw it is really ugly. It's interesting, because all of Maxie's dolls have bangs, pretty much. And in the show, she just doesn't. She has uh, her hair back in a big, like, tied back pompadour thing. Yes. It's very big, 
but without the bangs, it just kind of looks weird because it's not, I don't know, it, I know I grew up in an era where big hair was passe, but it looks very strange to me. <laughs> well, I like big hair, like, Raya has big hair, Raya's hair is awesome, but the way they draw Maxie's hair is like an Elvis quiff with, like, a mullet out the back, and the dolls had these big, luxurious hair bows, and they draw Maxie with, like, this ratty, like, shoelace in her hair, and I don't understand why. Yeah, um... Being charitable, they may have thought that since the other blonde-ish girl has a fringe, that you wouldn't have been able to tell Maxie apart if she had a fringe too, but, you know, they have different hair colours. Carly always has a ponytail in, so... Yeah. I don't know, it's sad. Maxie's doll has really pretty hair. The Ghostbusters episode... The ghost turns out to be a child in a bedsheet with, like, a flashlight projector of a ghost. <laughs> and this yeah, who's run away from home. is a very strangely drawn child. I did not like him. Well, he looks like the Mad Magazine mascot. His eyes are very far apart. And I think that he wears, uh, he wears glasses. But I think that that... I don't know, his eyes were just tiny and far apart, and I didn't like it. They gave him, like, weird wrinkles on his mouth. Like, he was voiced like he was supposed to be 12, and he was drawn like he was a seven-year-old with Benjamin Button disease. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't have a lot to say about that episode, other than the fact that um, at least Maxie was actually a main character in it, and that... They have all the girls wearing matching overalls, and I just did not like how the overalls were drawn. It it wasn't good. The overalls weren't doll fashions either. Nothing is a doll fashion. I don't understand it. And there was a point where Maxie went down a mysterious chute in the cruise ship, and it had both of us being like, Maxie, that could go to an incinerator. You don't know where it goes. Don't. And then luckily it lands in a laundry room, but you know, it's Maxie like, oh. could have died. It's like, oh my gosh, Star Wars trash compactor scene, R2, turn off the trash compactor, Maxie's in there. Oh, also, Ashley got to have more dialogue than she had in the other episodes, and her personality was very much like, I am vain and stupid, but I'm also a nice person. She's very dramatic. Yeah. And then uh, Simone was like, a... she, she was sassy. a bit sassy. She's sassy. And she was disparaging towards Ashley. So, make of that what you will, listener. Yeah, that's basically her... Oh, she also got to put on a headset and listen to an incoming SOS help call transmission and then turn to Maxie and be like, Oh, we're getting a we're getting a signal. And I'm like, oh, she's Uhura, I see. Yeah, she's Uhura and then the worst parts of Shayna. Speaking of Shayna... <laughs> Yes, there was a uh, preview for the next episode that showed Simone doing a fashion sketch, and it's like, oh, uh, that's that's an oddly specific trope that seems to turn up specifically in doll franchises, but have you ever noticed how oftentimes the token black character is some sort of makeup artist, stylist, or fashion designer? I don't think that's come up very often in any kind of critical uh, deconstruction of fashion dolls and I would hazard a guess it's because the people doing critical analysis of fashion dolls 
generally don't like fashion dolls and are coming from a place of hate. But yes, I have noticed. Normally, consume enough of the media to notice that as a pattern. But the second I saw that, I was like, "Oh, it's it's a black fashion designer character archetype again." I wonder if that is an archetype that she falls into, and not that just a one-off thing for that episode. But I would be interested. I mean, God knows if she gets enough dialogue or screen time to even have time to fall into a trope. But yeah. I should also clarify that you were asking the listeners, have they noticed? Because we have spoken about these stereotypes in doll lines at great length. Yes. Um, yeah, that is definitely an archetype that seems very specific to fashion doll lines and doll media. Off the top of my head, I can say Shayna Claudine, and then sometimes Sasha. In the Bratz Saturday morning cartoon, Sasha was the music character. Also, but Regine. Then... Regine is... Regine, yep. Yeah, that's kind of the major ones. Also, I should know uh, Spectra as well, because Styla Blue's character is summarized as being the fashion leader. So so that's Shayna, Regine, Styla Blue, Claudine... Sometimes Sasha, depending on the uh, version of the character. I'd also say, um, what was the character that wasn't Christy from Barbie Modern Circle? Oh, Simone. Yeah, Simone. Well, not this Simone, but the other Simone. She was the makeup artist. I think the makeup artist is its own thing. I was only really thinking of um, the fashion designer thing. But um, I think when you get into makeup, it's its whole, whole other bag. I think if there isn't a fashion designer slash stylist character in a line, that then being the makeup artist sort of falls into that category. It's it's the fashion character whose character is defined by fashion. Speaking of demographics, um, the second episode of Maxi did have a Hispanic character. Apparently one of Maxi's teachers slash maybe her boss at her part-time job. Unclear. Uh, he's Hispanic. And speaks with a very thick Mexican accent. Yeah, so we have a uh, Mexican character in the show. That's a character that isn't white. I was I was pleased. When I heard her pick up the phone and go, oh, Mr. Garcia, I was like, oh, thank God, representation. <laughs> um... <laughs> oh, oh, come to think of it, Snap Stars. The, like, all the characters in Snap Stars are, you know, a fashion trope of some sort, but the character Dawn is described as being a character that all the other characters go to her for fashion advice and borrow clothes from her. I finally had a good segue, and you ruined it. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I'm sorry. I, was, I ruined your little mall cop vehicle, okay? I was about to say... Speaking of representation, the second episode gave us some prime himbo representation. Oh yes, prime himbo. <laughs> Our prediction was correct. Proximity to Maxi makes you smarter. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we'll might need to elaborate on that bit. But <laughs> the boys were the analogues for the uh, Tin Man, Lion, and Scarecrow. But instead of a lion, Tin Man, and Scarecrow, we got... A cowardly shark, a himbo, and a man in a muscle suit. <laughs> I should note that going back into the weird 1950s styling of things, Rob was the himbo. He was a lifeguard, and he was the uh, equivalent to the scarecrow in that he wanted a brain. And he was drawn with a 
1950s style speedo, which went up to his navel with a, a very large like waistband on it. And um, I I found that quite jarring. I was, again, struck by the strange 1950s influence on all of the fashion design in this show. I should also note that my predictions for which would be which wasn't accurate because um, I was guessing that Ferdy would be the Tin Man, but I was expecting Mushroom to be the the Scarecrow, but he wasn't. Well, Mushroom's characterized by his like childlike naivety, which is why he constantly needs Maxie to be his surrogate mother. Yeah, but there is a scene where um, Rob, the himbo lifeguard, like comes up with the plan to save Maxie from the Wicked Witch of the Southwest. <laughs> and um, they're like, wow, that's a good plan. And he's like, my proximity to Maxie has made me more intelligent. <laughs> well, what he actually says is, it must be Maxie's magic. And we were both like, what magic? This has not been established. What is happening? I don't think we've actually explained that Maxie falls asleep on her bed and then has this bizarre nightmare sequence about like a beach themed version of Oz where the munchkins are like these demonic little surfers popping out of the sand and like making noises. It was, oh my god, that was bizarre. It was. And then the, uh, the sneakers are like the sapphire sneakers, but they're pink. Not that pink sapphires yeah. can't exist, but... Like point, pointy-toe high tops. <laughs> yes, and it's also kind of weird because uh, the dead witch that she steals the sneakers from, like her legs are poking out of the sand after the building lands on her, and then when Maxie walks over, she like disintegrates into dust like she was charcoal or something it was kind <laughs> yeah. of disturbing actually well i do have to say i did quite enjoy this episode because i thought some of the jokes they made were quite funny and quite knowing like she was the wicked witch of the the southeast and the other one was the wicked witch of the southwest who windsurfed in on like a pink windsurf at first i thought it was uh jerry not jamie as i've been calling her for most of the episode i'm sorry um, no, this is not Jerrica's third personality. No, well, I'm going to just remember, for, I think it's annoying that literally at the end of the episode, I was like, oh, I can remember it's Jerry, because that's what the boss's name from Totally Spies is. I thought it was funny how uh, they take down the witch by splashing her with water, and she doesn't melt. Uh, she just gets upset because it makes her clothes shrink. <laughs> Which was very bizarrely animated. It was, but I'm like, I appreciated the voice actress's delivery where they're like, she's gonna melt if you splash her with water. And she's like, I'm not gonna melt, but my clothes are shrinking. That's rude. And then Maxie's like, oh, I'm sorry. I won't want to ruin your clothes. Well, I actually thought the whole bit at the end was probably the best part of the episode because the witch's lair is like a sand castle. And then inside it's like a really 80s suburban living room, but everything's made of sand and seashells. Well, and, and she threatens to lock Maxie in the unfinished basement. I know it has no TV and no telephone, and Maxie's just, like, horrified by the lack of a telephone. I know, that was so hateful! It made me, it made me rethink my positive opinion about the episode, and I was like, do you really need this? This feels misogynistic. 
Yeah, um, it was, ah, the entire episode, I was just, like, puzzled and having a hard time following it, and then the last bit where they're actually in the witch's lair, I was like, okay, I'm having positive feelings about the episode now, so I feel like looking back, I have positive feelings, but it's mostly because it got good right at the end. Not because the also Maxi got to have dialogue. Yes, Maxi did get to have dialogue in this, and also her outfit wasn't super generic. Yeah, that was weird. Like, that wasn't a doll fashion, but it was, like it was tunic, complicated. It was like a tunic dress thing with like a starburst pattern all over it, and I'm like, okay, so there's actually like an outfit that isn't white and denim. <laughs> happening back on the topic of jamie we did actually get a glimpse of what we think might have been the commercial bumper which was the camera panning in really quickly on a yearbook and a voiceover from the character it panned in on in this case it was jerry and um and she was just like hi i'm jerry no 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 no, maxi's world and then it just like abruptly stopped and i was like what what is happening (laughs) Yeah, it was like a cutoff before the end of the video we were watching, so it did kind of get cut off. Did we just have bad luck before, or is this episode the exception? Well, we might have to do... We might have to watch some more Maxie's World. Not yeah. right now, because it's late where you are. Yeah, but I need to go to bed. But, you know, we might have to give it a fairer shake. I don't know, like, it's not good, but... It's better than the episodes where Maxie is a side character in these Trodile men's story. Yes. Um, the show does get infin- infinitely better the less Ferdian Mushroom is in it. I'm not sure yeah, if I well, this on air or not, but I was saying that if you replace Ferdy and Mushroom with like Ashley and Carly or something... I would enjoy those plots infinitely more if you just had these, like, idiot girls getting into very bad shenanigans. I would be like, this is funny, and at least they're characters from the doll line. Like, if you had, like, Ashley as being kind of weaselly and Carly as being a little bit of a dumb jock, I would enjoy that a lot more than these weird misogynistic men that they just sort of, like, drop into this girl's cartoon. Well, the thing is, Ashley's already characterised as being stupid and a little bit mean. I don't know if we actually said it, but Ferdy is, like, an antagonist half the time. Like, he is supposed to be friends with Maxie, but, oh my god, he is in with the baddie of the show. And so is Ashley. Ashley is friends with uh, Jerry, the antagonist. There's there's an episode we watched in prep for this, and... Um... Well, and what has Jerry actually done that's bad so far like she didn't date Ferdy but that's like a given that you wouldn't <laughs> no well I don't know because there's that episode which is like sympathetic to to Jerry where her diary gets published in the school paper the only antagonistic thing I've seen Jerry do is the UFO prank and even then that's like a harmless joke you know, it's not like she's stealing Maxie's boyfriend or like yeah. or like slashing people's tires. It's certainly toned down like if you're used to watching a doll cartoon and you've got like 
you know, either Raquel, who's actively like, yeah, I want Barbie to be destroyed. And then Pizzazz, who literally wants Jem to be destroyed, like attempted murder wants Jem destroyed. And then you have this where she's like, I didn't date your friend and then I lost the school dance competition. But that's what I think is weird is half the time Jerry is shown as being their friend. And that is, again, like, it's weird that there are only a handful of named characters in the Maxie's world universe. And apart from Maxie, the only ones that get any dialogue or screen time are the antagonistic characters. And then her two best friends are like mute slaves that follow her around and don't talk when they do occasionally appear. Yeah, I did notice that her friends got infinitely more interesting when Maxie wasn't, like, on screen with them. It's sad. Yeah. It is, I don't know, it's just bizarre. Characters sort of exist, but not really. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I mean, like like we said, like, we didn't come into this wanting to be negative, but we've done some digging on the internet, and Something which comes up again and again is people saying this show started out life as a Barbie cartoon and then was changed in development to uh, this maxi thing. And it's it's like, no, no, it's not. Um, that would never happen. That is completely impossible. Out. The Barbie thing came out. And also Hasbro or Mattel wouldn't touch anything that the other one had worked on with a barge pole. There's also the fact that while uh, the... The Barbie and the Rockers uh, TV special that got released on VHS, it has this a couple of the same producers as uh, Maxie's World. But like Barbie and the Rockers has, when you look at the IMDb page, double the length of the crew that worked on it. It had a much higher budget and it definitely shows in the quality of the animation. Like, if this had been a Barbie thing, I think it would be higher quality. Mattel does not also, Barbie turn out trash, or at least they certainly didn't in the 80s back when Barbie was like at peak peak money. Barbie. <laughs> peak energy. Yes. Um, yeah, well that's the thing is if if it had been a Barbie Saturday morning cartoon, Mattel would have been putting money into that. They would have been going well, we need to make Jem look bad, so let's have a Barbie cartoon, which is better. And, like, I wouldn't say the Barbie and the Rockers cartoon was better than Jem, because, frankly, Barbie has no personality in it. Like, it's fun, and it has way better animation than Maxie does. But I don't know, it's just weird. I also feel like if Mattel had put money into a project that would have been a Barbie cartoon, they wouldn't have let it be repurposed. No, that's what I mean. And Hasbro wouldn't have wanted to touch it anyway, because Hasbro would have been scared about annoying them. I mean, not that Hasbro was scared of Mattel, but, you know, when you're two companies that have occasional legal problems with each other, and also they both have a certain amount of professional respect for each other, um, they're not gonna they're not gonna pick up each other's scraps and make a TV show with it. Like, that's just mm -hmm. stupid people on the internet that don't know anything about dolls who have... God knows where that rumour came from. I mean, they probably just saw they were the same production company. Yeah. The carnal of truth to it is probably what we have assumed with Barbie and the Rockers being scrapped because of Maxie. I'm guessing that Maxie definitely 
probably is why Mattel had the falling out with Deke. I also think that the end products might have been too similar if both had been on TV at the same time. Well, I don't know. I feel like at that point, Barbie wasn't really a surf thing. and Barbie hadn't been a surf thing in like a decade at that point. Barbie at that time, the photos of her for like advertising the fashion sets would be Barbie in a city, like walking a dog in a park or... You know, Barbie's like a glamorous movie star at a fashion show. And Barbie was it, you know, largely a career woman at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I mean about the walking in the city. It's the photos advertising like day to night Barbie is her doing stuff in like a sort of ambiguous New York City kind of place. And Maxie is very much like everything is beach themed, even though the show didn't really play too much with the idea of it being beach themed, despite the school being called Surfside. Oh, also, um, Two of the episodes we watched had dialogue laid over the songs, and it was impossible to hear the lyrics or the dialogue because they were both at the same volume. Yeah, dialogue over with vocals in it is not a great sound design decision. I, I wonder. I just, you know, the Maxi cartoon just feels like no love or care was put into anything literally the best part of it was tara strong's voice acting yeah and she wasn't really in these these last two we watched very much no she wasn't oh some of the well when they're on model i like the character designs like i think rob has a really attractive face and his body is like nicely designed but that isn't really saying much considering the fact it's just kind of a standard attractive cartoon man drawn in a realistic kind of way yeah well, I think, what what's our end takes on Maxie here? My end take is the doll line was fantastic, and the cartoon, I I would I would think did maybe damage it in people's perceptions because the cartoon is very cheaply made, uh, very unenjoyable, and focuses on bizarre things like cartoon original male side characters getting entire episodes dedicated to them and seemingly a lot of episodes and i think it's a shame because people don't really remember maxi fondly and maxi was great like like we said the dolls were super cool and pretty popular so you'd think there would be more nostalgia for it but there's just not and then all of these hateful comments on the internet about it from people that aren't interested in dolls you know it's disheartening yeah um i think my end take is Similar, I think the Maxi doll line, while it probably could have used a little bit more diversity, was a really well-made doll line. And the cartoon just... Maybe maybe we are just unlucky in our random episode selection and we managed to pick all the duds. But uh, it's not great. It's Even these ones that we looked on more positively are more just like... We didn't hate it, so we feel positive about it after we watched the Ferdy Spotlight Hour. <laughs> that was rough. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that having good media accompanying a toy line is very make or break in how well it will be remembered and received by the public because, like, I didn't like Monster High, and then I watched the movies, and I own dolls now because I watched the movies and I enjoyed them. Jem 
I wasn't into until I watched the TV show, and then I got interested in collecting the dolls, when previously I'd been more of like a 60s, 70s doll collector. Well, that means the media's doing its job by making you want to buy the toys. Exactly, and you know, like, I don't feel like I'm being advertised to to be made to buy the toy, because it's a good enough thing that I watch it for fun, like... My mom and I were doing some house painting, and I just propped up my phone and put on gem episodes on my phone. And my mom was listening to it with me and laughing at, you know, just how fun it was. Because it, it's a genuinely enjoyable show that I'd want to revisit time and time again. And this Maxi cartoon, like, I'll probably, you know, go through and watch all of it that I can, but. I'm probably not going to rewatch it unless I'm turning it on to make a friend watch something bad with me. Yeah. And that's really yeah. sad because that means that we're not going to get like those young, you know, 14 and 15 year old entry level doll collectors being like, oh, I watched this old cartoon and now I'm interested in old dolls because of it, like you do with other properties. The thing is, I do want the Maxi dolls because I only have a couple of Maxi dolls. Um, and I do want to get the all of the characters and quite a lot of the outfits, but um, the cartoon isn't why. The cartoon doesn't show any of the fashions. The cartoon barely shows the characters, and when it does show the characters, it makes them as about as interesting as wet cardboard. Uh, I'd give them dry cardboard for some of those scenes, but yes. Yeah, I feel like we need to make John and Linda watch this. Yeah. Um, this is definitely a show that is worth forcing your friends to watch with you to suffer as a group. Yeah. Which I feel bad. We had to suffer, so should they. I genuinely wanted to like this. I'm pretty charitable with cartoons, especially old ones. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, it has a low frame rate. It's garbage. No, but it's just it just didn't do it for me. And I'm sad about that because I really enjoy the Maxi dolls. Yeah, it's it's... It's sad, and I I do think, like you said, I think no media is better than bad media when it comes to dolls. You know what I mean? Like, when you have no media, you can fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And when you have media, you can't. So, I mean, the Maxi adverts have a completely different theme song. They've got a kind of a different setting. They put you very much in mind of Maxi being a all-American girl at kind of an average kind of high school which is maybe in proximity to a beach because she obviously swims in a kind of an athletic manner and she's got she's got like a nice boyfriend who's excited to spend time with her and then you get the cartoon and it's like a parody of surfers and Max's boyfriend is a sexist well and even when he's not being a sexist directly he still will like side with his terrible friends instead of defending his girlfriend when they're being terrible to her yeah yeah and that's... i don't know i think making him a jock was a a weird choice in the cartoon because his dolls definitely do not seem like a jock character and like it it kind of makes sense seeing as like honestly most of the maxi cast is fairly athletic and as i've mentioned the dolls themselves are fairly athletically built but rob was never included in those like athletic doll lines yeah and oh, i also think when you're making something in to rob we should have had male cheerleader rob yeah a cheerleader rob would have been fun but i i, I genuinely think 
making a, a character a jock in a high school setting, especially an 80s high school setting, which I know obviously they weren't looking back at it as like a retrospective, but it adds a certain connotation to it. And even then they must have been aware that maybe making him a jock wasn't a kind of a good character choice because it makes him very one-dimensional. Do you, know, I, do you know what I mean? I feel like I'm not explaining that well, but like Ken isn't a jock. Ken has never explicitly been a sporty character. And, you know, actually going back to the Hanna-Barbera thing, because like you said, you can enjoy things with low frame rates. So can I. I love Hanna-Barbera things. And something which I think is really weird is Fred in the 70s uh, series is never portrayed as a jock or being like into sports on shaggy he's the athlete yeah early early media makes a big show of shaggy being athletic shaggy is on the track team shaggy is on the school gymnast team stuff like that and fred is just kind of like a clean-cut guy who likes fashion (laughs) he does wear an ascot that is not a well-known accessory for jocks (laughs) no exactly fred is foppish like he is a fop not a jock no he's a prep yeah, him and Daphne. That's why they hang out with Velma because they like to read books together. Yeah, we'll have to cover Maxi dolls themselves more in depth, and I think we might we possibly. Nah, okay, you can edit this out if you want. But I am thinking that it would be great to do an episode that covers specifically high school doll lines pre two thousands. So you've got well, that was our that was our initial idea before yeah. we ended up doing this episode. See. There's there's a couple interesting ones to talk about because uh, Barbie, the teenage fashion model, let's face it, she's never really been a teenager. Some of the early Barbie books write her as being a teenager, but the toy line itself never really reflected high school. No, it never did. Um, and I think the thing with Fred is when people imagine him as being a jock, they make him quite hateful and un- unlikable. And I think... The same thing happens when you make a dull line boyfriend a jock, is that it automatically adds a kind of one-dimensional brute character trait to them. And I'm not saying that you can't be athletic and be nice. Like, I was athletic in high school. I I was on my school's track team. Um, but I think in high school media, it, you know, I don't think it's ever a very good choice. <laughs> to have your main character be the popular girl that has everything she wants I'm and has gonna, the job boyfriend. I'm going to bring up Monster High and Ever After High again because, you know, they are very notable recent examples of doll media that most people are going to be familiar with. But you'll notice that a lot of the male characters in storylines where they get to be the male character, they are fine. They are well enough written. They're good characters. Most of them are pretty likable. I won't mention which ones I don't like right now. Um, But then you get the storylines that are about all the boys being on the sports team. Things like the whole Skultimate roller maze or the weird football with a book thing in Ever After High. And suddenly all of the guys are jerks in those. It's like it just brings out the misogyny in the writing of the character. It's it's terrible. It's like in um, oh, well, it's like in in Skull Ultimate Roller Maze when Claude has that 
sexism subplot with Draculaura and he's like, I forbid you from being on the team. And you get like a dramatic close up of Operetta's face as she's like listening to them having a conversation. And you feel like Operetta's about to like call like uh, like the local women's shelter or something. And then Draculaura like stands up to, to Claude and then, uh, and then Operetta's all relieved. It's so out of character for him too. I know it's like such... I feel like having him be the coach for the team when he was like injured made sense for his character, but the weird like tension with having him be sexist first was weird. I did always enjoy the scene where all the boys are being jerks, but then like the the jackal character is the only one who's like still down to be on the team with girls. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's really weird when you start writing the male characters as jocks, how a lot of the time in the writing process that just makes them bad characters. It's like Claude is always an athlete. Like Claude Wolf is always an athlete in the stories, but then when you make it about him being an athlete and a jock, suddenly he's like, it brings out this side of the character you don't like as much. I would hazard a guess that that is because the people writing media weren't the people on sports teams and may have, in fact, been the people bullied by the sports teams. Yeah, they, uh, they're the people that grew up in the era of nerds still being bullied. Oh, they were, weren't they? That That is such a weird concept that has kind of just vanished from our society overnight. Um before we move on too much, though, I will say I think it's funny that we've both ended up speaking about Monster High a lot in reference to Maxie's world, considering the fact that neither of us are particularly big fans of Monster High. Well, I think we're we're not huge Monster High collectors specifically, but we both are fans of the attached media and the characters themselves, and also like in doll lines that have strong media with them. It is a really prime example of a lot of these concepts. Yeah, plus the thing is, Monster High was so big. It was like a bomb going off in the doll industry. And I don't think there is a collector out there that isn't familiar with Monster High. So if you reference it, you know, it's something everybody's going to get. It is very accessible. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a lot of, a lot of doll collectors and casual 80s cartoon fans I know are going to be more familiar with like gem than if i start dropping lady lovely locks references yeah it's like you gotta find the accessible point of reference well i I would definitely say monster high is um i mean we're getting way off topic now but this whole episode has been an off topic ramble so um i do think monster high is definitely up there with with brats in its level of uh um the way it changed the doll industry Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely did well, yeah, it changed the doll industry. Um, so how about we start wrapping this up so you can go to bed? Yes, I would. Uh, I need I need my beauty sleep so I can make an advantageous match. <laughs> uh, as always. Um, yeah, let's, let's let's wrap this up. So our website is now fully live. You can check that out at talkingdolls.org. I fixed it before you had to put forward slash home and people were like, I'm entering it and I can't get to the website. So that's fixed now. Again, I am new to audio editing and I am new to website making. So please be gentle. And if you'd like to find me separately, you can find me on uh, Sensational Joe on Instagram. 
And if you'd like to find me, you can find me at emmakate.sequentialarts on Instagram, where I have lots of doll-related art, including some maxi art. And we've actually reposted some of that fabulous maxi art to our Instagram. And again, special thanks to everybody on Instagram for being super supportive of us. It has been really exciting. And we're hoping to bring you some future doll historical information and uh, some more interviews in the future. This episode has been a bit of a detour, um, but we do hope to keep with the format of it being kind of an interview and then a subject every month, if that makes sense. Well, like an interview with someone specific who's either an expert or someone from the industry, and then just, you know, the two of us talking dolls. Otherwise, I think we might run out of people to interview quite quickly. Yeah, there's not a lot of people who are that ready to come forward with their information. Though hopefully we can change that. Yeah, I think... Street people, if you're listening to this, we'd love to interview you. Please let us interview you. Um, And, you know, for listeners... Like I think already you've been doing it, but you know, tell friends if you if you like our podcast. Um, really exciting. We actually broke um, we actually broke the average monthly engagement threshold for a new podcast by quite a substantial amount. So I really would like to keep this momentum going. So until next time, I'm Emma Kate, and I'm Joe, and this is Talking Dolls. Signing off.